Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And Riley hammers it down the line, hanging slider, and we are tied. He lost him a bases loaded walk in the Braves lead. And another walk. This is incredible. Oh, boy. There go the runners. And Ozzie takes downstairs. Four walks by Reyes in the inning. Walks by his staff and walks to the mound. A big telling story for St. Louis. Good gravy. And here it is. He missed it. Another walk. (laughs) That's five consecutive walks. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It kind of did, Rod Burgundy. By the way, did Mike Schultz say good gravy there? Yeah, he did. That was what he said, T-Bone. My goodness. My goodness, good gravy. Oh, boy. Pretty much syndomized exactly what took place last night out at Bush Stadium. With Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario. BK again out today. He will be back with us on Tuesday. And I'm a little disappointed he's not here today, T-Bone, because I would love to hear how he would polish and posit- pull positives out of that rough one last night. I was thinking about this last night. I was like, there's no way he can do that, right? But you know what he'd probably say? And this is how BK would probably polish this turd. He would go, hey, if this was a seven-inning doubleheader, they would have won. <laughs> Think of it that way. And you hate seven-inning doubleheaders, oh, so that's yeah. a positive in itself. Well, look, last night, in my opinion, takes the cake on disappointing losses of the season. I think this one skyrockets above that Chicago Cubs game, and here's why. Actually, let, I, I got a list of here's why, T-Bone. One— Are we going to have that much time for all of Oh, them? yeah, I got plenty of time for you, buddy. Three hours of this. That was a team that hasn't been above 500 once this season, the Atlanta Braves. And you blew that lead to them late in a game. That was a team that lost their star player back on July 11th, Ronald Acuna Jr., and yet still found ways to not only go out and win baseball games, but also admit themselves to be buyers at the trade deadline and go out and acquire help so that they can go out and have success still. That also is a team that has a bullpen that nearly has identical numbers to the Cardinals' bullpen. I mean, I'm talking maybe like .5 difference in an ERA, innings pitched, blown saves, games, uh, runs given up per inning. I I I mean, it was to a T, identical with those two bullpens. The sweep doesn't bother me, 
as much as that eighth and ninth inning bothers me last night because that to me was a perfect definition of why I really felt like this Cardinals team wasn't going to be able to make a playoff push because when they play against that even level competition, it doesn't match up with them. Yeah, the, the, last night, I don't know, it's probably top five for me in the rough losses because the Cubs one stings the most because you had a bigger lead. This one was right there down to it. But yeah, la- everything went to plan for the Cardinals and then they just couldn't get the finishing touch on it f- for them. Wade LeBlanc gives you a strong six-inning outing, a quality start, which honestly, what are our expectations when our boy LeBlanc goes to make a start? About five innings, be decent, three runs, four runs, keep it close. He did better than that. He went six innings. He was efficient last night. He looked good on the mound. And then you feel confident Cabrera comes in, gives you that one inning, and you go, okay, we got the big three coming in. This is the game. We have to win this and avoid the sweep because we are in must. We are in the territory of basically every game now is must win because you basically have to play 600 ball to get into the playoff, 660 ball to try and catch the Brewers. And that's without them going uh with without them doing their their thing and winning their ball game so losing last night and being swept that's a killer that that may be the final nail in the coffin when we look back on things this season when we say well why didn't they make the run well that sweep in atlanta might be it this one is very frustrating for the st louis cardinals and the pitching this this pitching staff is i'll just it's not great there's nobody else to blame in this one other than the fact that these guys are spent. I mean, look, you can point fingers at Mike Schilt, and we're going to get into that. You can point fingers at the offense, and we talked about that yesterday. But look, your bullpen, the three guys that you really only trust in certain situations, and that's what it's come to now. I mean, it's come to in close games where the Cardinals have the chance to win. It has to be Cabrera Gallegos Reyes. Otherwise, anybody else that comes into that game is either trying to keep their head above water or just let the game finish itself out like we saw last night when Justin Miller comes in for Alex Reyes. But look, Giovanni Gallegos the other night, he throws, what was it, 28 pitches and... 28 pitches, two-thirds of an inning, three hits, three earned, one walk, one strikeout. And then last night, two-thirds of an inning, three hits, three earned runs, no walks, no strikeouts. That was for Giovanni Gallegos, so... As he's in the game, you're looking at it and you're wondering, was that the right move going back to Giovanni there? And I get it. You have your big three. If you're going to win, it's Cabrera, it's Gallegos, it's Alex Reyes. But then Alex Reyes comes into the game. No outs, no hits, but four walks, one hit batter, three earned one, 21 pitches. And Derek Gould put this out last night. Of the 480 runs the Cardinals have allowed so far this season... 5.4% have come when they walk a batter with the bases loaded. So any other way to look at that last night, you can point fingers, but it has to start with the fact that Gallegos, Cabrera, and Reyes, they're taxed at this point of the season. Yeah, they they are starting to look... Cabrera looked good. Cabrera, I'm not seeing the tax on him yet, but Gallegos, yes, the last two games, he's... He struggled with uh, his movement on the ball. It just hasn't been as good. He was really slow in his deliveries uh, on Wednesday because he was trying to find it. You could tell he didn't have it. Last night, I thought he looked okay. There was a lot of loud uh, contact, though, on him because that first out was the nice play by Paul Goldschmidt where he robbed a guy. Then you get the deep fly ball to center. Usually with Gallegos, you're not seeing that. Usually it's it's getting guys out with soft contact or fly ball, lazy fly balls into the outfield or he's striking guys out. A lot of loud contact on him yesterday. The biggest thing for me, though, is Reyes 
you have to raise his command was an issue. I know we're going to get into that a little bit later on in the show, but Reyes last night was, I, I don't know. I'm seeing struggling some tough signs of, I know his stuff's great, but man, the walks are a killer. And then Justin Miller comes in. You can't walk five guys in a row. That, that, well, that can. just can't happen. Well, I know he can. I mean, it's possible. But I think part of that, maybe it is they're getting taxed a little bit, as you mentioned. I was looking at the numbers. These guys in innings pitch for this season. Gallegos, so far among relievers, fourth most innings pitched in Major League Baseball. Reyes, 17th most innings pitched in Major League Baseball among relievers. Cabrera, 23rd most innings pitched among relievers. It, I think it is starting to pile up on these guys. And you look at the numbers. The big three this year, 153 innings pitched combined, 3.06 ERA outside the big three. 5.34 ERA, major jump up from outside of the big three, and that's why the Cardinals are going to have to ride these guys down the stretch. And if we're already seeing signs of fatigue, it comes down to who can step up in the bullpen and also the offense too, because the offense needs to get get you leads, get up in some games where you don't have to turn to them in a three run game. Yeah, I'm, as much as I have harped on the fact that this offense has struggled, and that's part of the or one of the main reasons why they're not in playoff contention. Last night was all about the pitching, and we'll get more into the Mike Schilt decisions there. But first, I want you to hear from the manager talking about what he saw going wrong for Alex Reyes in that game. He just wasn't make, able to to get his feeling for what he was doing early on. Um, he just wasn't able to. To get a feel for what he was doing, couldn't couldn't find a command pitch, um, a strike pitch, and uh, wasn't able to make adjustments. So, one of those rare nights that a guy that's rightfully been a huge part of this club and an all star that he more than earned just um, produced human tonight. We have human moments, and um, they hurt. And those guys are hurting, and um, they'll be back and better for it. The problem is they've had a lot of human moments, and, and look, by no means am I harping on Alex Reyes because he set a major league record earlier this season in terms of most saves consecutively in the start of a major league career as a closer. And Giovanni Gallegos has been the most consistent bullpen pitcher for the Cardinals this season. So that's why I'm watching this game last night, Tanner, and I'm thinking about it afterwards and I'm looking at it thinking, was this more on Mike Schilt? And I I mean, everyone knows here on PK and Ferrario, I'm not the one that points fingers at coaches and says it's on them. I do think a lot of this goes on the players. But how do you go back to Giovanni Gallegos last night after you saw that that guy was hurting? And I know Mike Schilt explained it saying that, you know, Gio was the one that wanted to go back. He said he was fine. And I heard Jim Edmonds saying on the broadcast with Danny Mack last night, like that is you're, you're, you're treading or you're, you're playing with fire there in terms of going back to him once again, but you still go to Gallegos and he gets the first two outs of the inning, but then it starts to fall apart. Then you go to Alex Reyes where it's still a tie baseball game and the bases get loaded with walks. And then you walk the first run in, walk the second run in, walk the third run in. I mean, it was four runs that were scored before you even got somebody up in the bullpen. So as, as much as I am the, well, this is on the players. The players have to play better, Right. I'm really wondering if Mike Schilt did this one to himself last night just because I know there's not any other options. You can't throw Justin Miller in there. But you got to start showing some other faith in guys in your bullpen rather than just going to the same three every time you're only up by a run because the problem for the Cardinals ties back into the offense. Nine times out of ten, their games result in them only being up by a run or two. So you're basically using these guys every night. Well, that's the thing, and that's why it's – kind of on the front office for not helping reinforce the bullpen come the trade deadline. 
I, I think that Mike Schilt played his hand right yesterday. Now, he probably should have gotten someone up a little bit sooner with Alex Reyes because it was clear he didn't have his command because he took a little long to get Justin Miller up and throwing. But I understood going back to Gallegos because you are going to have to ride the big three. I get it. They're, they are taxed probably right now, but we are in the home stretch. You have two months to get out of this really big hole, climbing into the NL Central where you're over 10 games out, in the NL Wild Card race where you are eight games out. You have to ride the big three, and that's why I get it. Gallegos threw a lot of pitches, 28 on Wednesday. But you have to go back but to them if because you, do you, that, can't, you just can't trust anybody else out of the pen. But if you keep riding those guys, they're going to be unavailable for you come late August, early September. And that's when you're making your playoff push. So, and I agree, T-Bone. I mean, this was on the front office too because Mike Schilt in the famous or the infamous press conference of, you know, it's not your job, right? With BK. Brandon. Brandon. Mike Schilt was pleading for bullpen help. He was pleading for arms because he said to BK, what other options do I have here? But the front office doesn't go out there and make any moves for bullpen help. They get John Lester. They get Jay Happ, who helps the offense or who who helps the rotation. And then hopefully you can shift guys into your bullpen. But that's where I go back to Mike Shilton, because at some point, don't you have to start showing some faith into other guys in your bullpen rather than just Cabrera, Gallegos, Reyes, Cabrera, Gallegos, Reyes, like, you can't have an Andrew Miller who has pitched really well since the All-Star break just sitting out there until the game's out of hand. And I understand he's a lefty and the matchups don't look great, but at some point you got to go to somebody other than the same three guys because when you're the 17th most used reliever in baseball or the top 20 most, re- most used relievers in baseball, those arms aren't going to be as effective come late August, early September that they were in April or May. Yeah, it is a fact that the Cardinals need someone to step up to kind of help that bullpen, kind of get those guys, whether it's a game like last night where you say, okay, LeBlanc gave us six innings. Now we have two of the big three available if you wanted to rule out Gallegos because of the pitches on Wednesday. thing is, though, is you you need someone to step up, and you just haven't had that. Ryan Helsley's that guy, but Helsley got roughed up in his outing on Tuesday against the Atlanta Braves. To me... Again, I think Schilt played his hand right because you you have to use the big three, and I get it. They're going to be exhausted near September. But this is the time that you really have to take advantage because your schedule is easy. September is going to be a battle. You've got the Padres, the Dodgers. You play the Brewers, I think it's 10 times in the month of September. Yeah. So, sure. Would you like to keep the big three as fresh as possible for September? Yeah, but if you can't win this stretch of 8 of 10 series against teams below 500 then you don't have to worry about keeping them fresh for September because you're going to be out, of it, be out of it by the end of August. So that's why, Mike Schilt, I would not be stunned if, let's say you have six games for every week in September here because it, look, the next three Mondays they get off. Four of those six games, I would not be stunned each week to see the big three if you have a three-run lead or less. That's why you kind of need the offense to help out there, make these games a little bit get bigger leads so you can tr- avoid going to them. Or like you said, someone does have to step up. Ryan Helsey, you're going to have to step up. Justin Miller, we're going to have to have you step up. TJ McFarland's been good. He was unavailable because he threw, I think, 30-some pitches the night before. Somebody in the bullpen has to step up and bridge that gap. And the good news is, too, those that Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis are close. So hopefully they can kind of help bridge the gap, too. Look, we want to hear from you on our Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Was last night's loss 
a nail in the coffin for you as a fan base for this Cardinals team this season. You can send those mic drops to the Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app, or you can send us an Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. He's Tanner Hendrickson. we got Marty Lincoln here as well as we are in for BK. Of course, he is out today. He'll be back with us on Tuesday. When we come back, how much of this season, how much of it can be blamed on injuries? Well, we'll dive into that because Ben Fred dove into that as well. We'll get on that next here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. So how much of this season struggles for the Cardinals can be blamed on injuries? That's a question that Ben Fredrickson wrote in the post-dispatched that I really thought was a great point to get into. With Tanner Hendrickson and Marty Jenkins, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK today as the Cardinals fall to the Braves last night, swept as they get set for the Kansas City Royals later on this evening. And T-Bone, you brought this article to my attention, and I think a lot of people at the end of this season are going to look at it and say, look, Jack Flaherty is gone for a large amount of time. Miles Michael is gone for a large amount of time. And then you take into consideration the Jordan Hicks injury. You have pretty much the injuries that took place to Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill sporadically through the season. They're going to say, well, injuries played a major part in this because if you're healthy, you're probably fighting in this NL Central crown a lot different than you are right now. Not according to mangameslost.com. And this is the piece that Ben Fred put together. The Cardinals are 19th out of 30 MLB teams in terms of a metric of total games injured, according to this injury, uh, injury data that is tracked on this website. I, for one, do feel like that if you have Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis at the beginning of this season, Miles at the beginning, Jack without that big stretch where you were without him, you're a different team. But I don't know if you're a different team in terms of, oh, we're not having these conversations. And and I do agree with Benfred, who basically says, like, we need to stop talking about the Cardinals and injuries tying together as to why this team is, what, 12, 11 and a half, 12 games out of the NL Central race right now. Because the Milwaukee Brewers have had on nearly 300 more man games lost than you. The Cincinnati Reds have about 31 more man games lost than you. When it comes to the players that you have been without compared to other teams in the National League, like the New York Mets, like the Atlanta Braves, like the Milwaukee Brewers... You really don't have an argument in that sense. So you can talk about Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis being put back into the rotation, and maybe that gives you five, six, seven, eight more wins. But I don't know if it puts you back into the same category in the conversation because you still have to talk about the offense and you still have to talk about the bullpen. Yeah, you still have to talk about the bullpen. But the, if the, the Hicks injury does have an effect, though, because that's that fourth bullpen arm you trust, that was the idea heading into the season is you'd have – Jordan Hicks, Giovanni Gallegos, Henesis Cabrera, Alex Reyes. So instead of a big three, you'd have a big four. So I think the Hicks injury, we're kind of seeing the effects of that in the bullpen now as the season's gone on and how we've had to, you know, we talk, just talked about last segment how these guys are getting burned. So I think we're kind of seeing that with the Jordan Hicks scenario where Schultz has three guys rather than four for the bullpen. The rotation, of course, I'm with you. The rotation would be much more, would have been much more stabilized. I said yesterday that June – Drew would not have been what it was if you had Jack Flaherty healthy, Miles Michaelis healthy, because it's kind of what you have those two plus Adam Wainwright, who's pitched well, 
and you kind of are like the Milwaukee Brewers. You don't have that elite of a big three, but you have a big three in your rotation to where if one guy has a bad start, it doesn't feel like, oh, okay, here we go. Now we got to go through these four guys in our rotation. Who knows what we're going to get out of these guys? No, you would have had Flaherty, Michaelis, or Wayno to back up the other outing. So you can kind of avoid those slumps that we saw in the Cardinals. That Pirate series that we that we all talk about in June probably doesn't happen if Flaherty is healthy. So I, I think the injuries do factor in. I'm with you, though. It doesn't sell it completely, though, that it's kind of the reason for the Cardinals' struggles because the offense, they haven't performed well, and they've been pretty healthy for quite some time now. And you look at the other teams that have dealt with injuries, and I think they're bigger than what the Cardinals have dealt with. Yes, Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, those are massive losses for a team, but you're talking about one of every five days that they're making an impact on your game. Look at the Padres without Tatis Jr. Now, they have scuffled, but they have kept their head above water in that NL West with the Giants and Dodgers looming. You have the Giants, who have been without two of their best hitters for a long period of time this season, in Buster Posey and Brandon Belt on top of Brandon Crawford. You've got the New York Mets, who've been without Jacob DeGrom, who've also been without a couple of their infielders. So as much as some people will at the end of the season look at this and say, yeah, well, you got to mention the injuries you do, but I also think those injuries don't play into where the other deficiencies are for the Cardinals. Because, again, it goes back to the bullpen situation. You only have a couple of guys you trust in certain scenarios, and then you get to the offense. Last night, you take the lead with some offense, but then you can't put any more runs up on the board. So I get it. It all culminates. And Mike Schilt, I thought, had a great quote on this after the game or before the game yesterday when he was asked about you know where would this team be without all of the injuries and he said look we can't be in the business of that there's no point in doing that I have to work with what I have here and that's what you expect a coach to say yeah that's what you expect Mike Schilt to say and you know you mentioned the deficiencies yeah the offense again is going to be kind of what it was but when the injury occurred to Jack Flaherty it did feel kind of like the nail I don't want to say the nail in the coffin for the Cardinals at that point but it was clearly a tough part for them because of you know, you had all this buildup, you had you had been struggling, and then all of a sudden you lose your ace, and then it just kind of went downhill from there. The Cardinals at the time of the injury, six games above five hundred, half game back of the Chicago Cubs for first place in the NL Central. I, I think if the injuries don't occur, then I think you are hanging in with the Brewers. That's why I still think the, the injury excuse is what people say, oh, I don't buy into this injury excuse. I think the pitching side of it, you can you can hear. The offensive side is where I'm with you. It's just hard to sell it because you've been so defi- deficient for so long at this point in the season. So the loss last night, of course, the Cardinals walking in the game-winning runs and the Atlanta Braves sweep the team. I asked the question at the previous segment if last night's loss was the nail in the coffin for fans with this Cardinals team. Let's get a mic drop on this one, Marty. Coming off of the COVID, we were looking so forward to watching baseball this season summer and why, when are we going to get to watch it mo should have got fixed that bullpen over the winter we only had three pitchers and they're young how do you expect them to go on and on and on he had all winter to fix this i'm so sick of his be patient crap <laughs> <laughs> all right janet fired up I, She's sick of it, T-Bone. I know. You know what? It's I, not hey, your I'm job. Kinda, I'm, I know it's not my job. It's not your job, Tanner. You know, I will make this. I do want to counter this though. She mentioned Mo should have fixed the bullpen in the off season. Uh, I, I think a lot of us kind of. 
Stay away from bullpen help in the offseason. I mean, look at what it's done to this team in terms of via free agency. Cecil was a great contract. You can't tell me otherwise. Cecil was a wonderful contract in terms of locker room personnel in those video games. But with the bullpen, the idea that of fixing that in the offseason, we talked about it heading into the year, and the Cardinals talked about, too, you know, we feel great with our depth of pitching. Now, I thought there was a little bit of concern with the starting pitching, the depth, but I could understand what they were saying. And then the bullpen, I thought the bullpen would be fine. I thought we'd see the next step from a Ryan Helsley. I thought that John Gant was going to be a bullpen arm originally for you, and he had to be thrust into the rotation because of injuries. So I understand why the Cardinals didn't make moves in the offseason to fix the bullpen, and they thought that he would have Jordan Hicks. We A lot of people thought that the bullpen was fine depth-wise, and it turns out we were just wrong. I, I think where the bullpen should have been fixed was at the trade deadline, though. Keep sending the mic drops to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. It's 11.30, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Let's talk about a struggling team and how you can break out of it with a former Cardinal, a former Royal, and of course everyone's favorite in terms of home run softball derbies. Brandon Moss. He's going to join us, and hopefully he won't make fun of what BK and I did at that home run derby next year on 101 ESPN. I'm so sick of his be patient crap. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The 1-0. Moss with a high fly ball. Deep center. Taylor back. Walk it off. What a moment. The Cardinals win it. Sweated with a walk-off from Brandon Moss. Oh, my goodness. Always a pleasure when we get the chance to talk with the former Cardinal, longtime big leaguer Brandon Moss. And I guess I should say uh, runner-up to the home run softball home run derby wow, championship. Wow, start off with well, that. Well, look, and he'll even tell you that was an incredible championship round with Brandon Moss, who was out at that home run derby with 101 ESPN at 105.7 The Point. It's great to catch up with Brandon on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line before the Cards and Royals go at it this weekend. Brandon, how are you, buddy? I'm doing awesome. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. So this is the first time I've had the chance to talk with you since that home run derby. And I would imagine you're still uh, reveling in the fact that that kid just walked it off with fireworks going in the background. That was, I, hey, there's nothing I can say about that. That was awesome. That was, that was uh, for anybody that wasn't there, you missed a great show because that kid put like, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and what he did that last round to, to end up uh, walking it off. I mean, he took that time out after the first minute and a half, and I don't think after he came back, I don't think he took a swing that wasn't a home run. I think so. he was down by like 10. And for those of you that are listening, like, what are you guys talking about? So we had a home run derby, a charity home run derby uh, with uh, some former major league players. It was Brandon Moss, Jim Edmonds, Rick Ankiel, Adam Kennedy. We embarrassed ourselves on the radio side, or I guess I should just say BK and I embarrassed ourselves See, on the radio don't side. Don't tie me into that. I and wasn't then, there. And then they had some college athletes as well out there. And so the championship was Brandon Moss and then a college athlete. And I think he was down by like 10 with less than a minute to go, Brandon. He took a timeout. And then I got some t- foil theory behind this because I feel like they had those fireworks planned because as soon as he started hitting bombs after the timeout, the fireworks started going off. No doubt. I felt like, you know what? I'm happy he won, but where were my fireworks? <laughs> <coming up? laughs> 
You know, I'm out there dying about to collapse in the middle of a round. I could have used some fireworks. I'm with you on that one. Well, Brandon, it is always it's always great to catch up with you, man. And I know you're enjoying the uh, the summertime right now, the warm weather with the family. We're doing some traveling during that home run derby. But we wanted to get you on because, of course, it's the Cardinals and Royals going head to head. But I want to start off just because the Cardinals are in a little bit of a rut right now, struggling, just swept by the Braves. When you were a player, a part of the team, whether it was the Cardinals, whether it was the Royals, the Athletics, when you were going through a rough period of time, how is you? How how did you as a team find a way to get out of that? Um, I think a lot of times it depended on how long the the, uh, the downturn was. Like if you go, you know, getting swept in a series is not fun, especially when you're getting swept in a team by you know a team that. You know, the, the Braves are decent. They've got a lot of talent, but they're struggling this year a little bit. So they're not they're not playing the type of baseball that they, they're capable of over the course of the year. But then you run into them in a series, and they seem to get hot against you. And it's like, really, this is the time you're going to pick to get hot. But at the same time, I mean, you know, you play so much baseball that I, I don't think it ever really leaves you. I mean, that, that you're never out of it. I mean, until you're mathematically eliminated, um, if you're a team like the Cardinals or even if you're a team like the Braves, like you, you know that all the way until mid-September, if you're still in it, you've got, you've got a chance with that wild card format. So you just kind of move on and say that was a bad series. And now they've got the Royals coming in and the Royals have really struggled this year. They got Mike Miner. I think I heard him say tonight, which he's a good pitcher, but at the same time, um, you got Wayno on the mound. Who's a veteran guy. Who's having a great year. Um, I think, I think, I think tonight will be a, a, you know, he'll put a stop to that and get things, get the ship righted. Brandon, you said how you guys locker room, you guys try to. It's you got a long season, and you mentioned uh, the, you still have a chance, so you're mathematically eliminated. Here on the radio side, we look at the schedule and we say, okay, well, you've got nine coming up against the Royals and the Pirates, and we say, well, you Cardinals, they know it too. You you got to start winning games when you're ten games back in Milwaukee, eight out of the wild card race. I'm curious in the locker room as a player. Do you guys kind of look at a schedule and say, okay, we got nine games against the Pirates and the Royals. We just got swept. We need to try and go seven and two, or is it just kind of, we just got to go out there day after day after day and just take care of business? Um, I always looked at it a little bit, but for, but for me as an offensive player, it wasn't necessarily about who team-wise we had coming up. It was who we were going to be facing on the pitching side. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even bad teams can have an ace, and you know that you need to go in there and win two out of three, or, or you need to win series going forward. So you're looking at your best opportunities to do that. But in all honesty, it, sometimes those little runs where you can have 10 or 11 games against sub-500 teams, they, they hurt you because you may go – say you had, a, say you had, you know, 10 games against sub 500 teams and you go six and four and that seems like you did good but then you have uh another uh, other teams in the division that that go out and and like milwaukee and or or something like that and they go and they go seven and three against good teams and you're like crap now we still got to play the good teams but then you play the good teams and you seem to play better you you i don't know why that is but like it's it's always there's something different about when you're not expected to win. You know what I mean? When you're expected to win, sometimes it's hard to go out and win. Well, Gilbert, 
Go ahead, oh, Brandon. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say, with that being said, Brandon, it does feel like when you're in I mean, players always say once it's post all star break, that's where the playoff push really begins. And look, when the when the all star game ended, I think the Cardinals were like eight games back. They're around eleven games out of the central right now. But do series losses or sweeps, do those sting more when it's middle of August or in September rather than, say, May or June? Yeah, for sure. For sure, because, you know, it, that's the truth. It's such a long season that, you know, I mean, I, look at the Texas Rangers in 2012 when, um, when I was with the A's. They had like a 10-game lead on us at the All-Star break. And we came back and had a ridiculous second half, and we won on the last day of the season and took the division. And that happens, that maybe not coming back from 10 games, but four, five, six games. Those happen quite often. I remember in, I think it was uh, maybe 2014 or 13, you know, the Braves and us, you know, we, we had huge leads going into certain things. And I don't even think the Braves made the, made the postseason that year. You know, collapses happen by the teams at the top, and if you just stay consistent and play good baseball and don't worry about – don't think about the next 15 games ahead. Think about this series. Think about this game. I know that sounds cliche, but it's really hard because if you're thinking about 10 and 11 games ahead and then you go and you lose two in a row, it's like, well, what do we got to do to make those two up? But then you think about today and you go and you win today and then you win tomorrow – and you get on a little bit of a streak, and then once you're on a streak, anything anything can happen. Brandon, you mentioned the 2014 kind of making that run when you were with the Oakland A's. We just wrapped up the MLB trade deadline last week, and in 2014, when you were with that A's team, they made a couple of big moves. They went out and got John Lester. I believe they brought in Jeff Samarja as well, if I'm not mistaken. What kind of a boost, kind of two-part question here, what kind of a boost does it bring to the locker room when the front office kind of – buys into your team and helps you add pieces and I don't know if you were ever a part of a team but where maybe the front office you guys thought we just need that one piece and they didn't get that move what does that kind of send to the locker room when the front office kind of helps you out um well okay so in 2012 13 and 14 I feel like Billy and Dave Forrest went out and got pieces to add to our team because they saw what we were what we were doing and they believed in what we had that it could make a run, and they went and added to it. And I mean, all you—I mean, other than 2014, which you know that second half collapse that we had in Oakland was more due to the fact that the offense just went cold more than it had to do with anything else. Because we went and got Lester, and he pitched awesome, and so did Samarja. And uh, Hamels struggled a little bit. Uh, Jason Hamels struggled a little bit during the season, but he righted the ship, and then he. He pitched well in September, so all the pieces that we went and got in 2014 played well. It's just the rest of us didn't when we kind of fell apart. But I mean, um, even in the even in the wild card game, you know, <clears throat> against uh, Kansas City, we had the lead going into the eighth or ninth inning, and I mean, we just couldn't hold it down. And then we had the lead in the twelfth inning and just couldn't hold it down. People like to talk about Lester and his inability to hold runners back then. Um, but Lester was never one to hold runners. He would mix up his times, and that's how he would keep them at first base. But he's a pitcher. I mean, Lester pitched great that game. He made, you know, I mean, he went a little long in that game. I think he went to the seventh inning with a with a high pitch count and trying to take a little further and gave up some runs. But when he left the game, we still had the lead. 
And that's what his job was. And so, you know, the bullpen just didn't hold it down that year, and that's going to happen. You know what I mean? That's going to happen. But I think that um, in 2017, when I was with the Royals, we were we were struggling a little bit at the All Star break. But we we really we were still in the middle of it, and we didn't go get really anything that could have helped us. And uh, we just finished a few games back of a wild card spot, and that was that was kind of upsetting. And I think it was upsetting for the guys like Mustakas and Hosmer and those guys, cause they knew that was their last kind of go at it in, in Kansas city. So definitely those things are paid attention to. Brandon final one. I wanted to ask you is about John Lester. You played with him, as you mentioned in Oakland, and I believe you were with him in Boston for a little bit of time at the beginning of your career as well. We came up together. Yeah. We came up in the minor leagues together. So what kind of guy is John Lester? I mean, we've all seen his career and of course it's kind of at the tail end of his career, but just give us in our listeners an idea of the, the player and teammate John Lester is. He's a perfectionist. Um, he's a, he's a guy that like, it's, he does it. It's not just about um, getting through the game or getting a win. Like he wants to make sure that everything he can do, he does. He, you know, he works hard. He he uh, takes care of his body. Obviously, evidenced by the amount of pitches he's thrown in his career and innings he's thrown in his career and the numbers he's put up. But he's just a guy that uh, I, I don't know these guys personally. But like I think of like Greg Maddox, John Smoltz. Tom Glavin, when I was growing up as a Braves, Braves fan, he reminds me of the things that I would always read about them in the paper as a kid about how they went about their business. Like, like just strict professionalism. You know, they keep their emotions in check. They're competitors, but they're perfectionists. You know, it's not enough to go out there and win seven to five and pitch five innings and give up three or four runs. Like, they want to go seven and they want to give up two. You know what I mean? At the most, like that's, that's the guys that they look at themselves as. And I know that when we got Lester, when I was, when I was in Oakland, I mean, I was so excited because I came up with him in the minor leagues in Boston. And I just knew the type of mentality that he brought. And I just knew that with our young pitchers that we had, like we had, uh, we, I don't know if we still had Jared Parker, but we had AJ Griffin and we had Sonny Gray and we had Tom Malone, which were really good pitchers, but they were young. I thought it was going to just really help to boost that staff to have a guy like Lester come in and then see how he does stuff. Yeah, it sounds like an awful lot like just an old-school pitcher, which is awesome to have as a part of your yeah. ball club. Brandon, it is always great to catch up with you, my man. Enjoy the rest of the summer with the family, and uh, we look forward to hopefully catching up with you again real soon, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always a pleasure. Always great. There you go. Brandon Moss, former Cardinals first baseman and outfielder. Always a pleasure to talk to. And I, I, I'll i consider him a home run champion in that so, softball home run derby, T-Bone, because I'm with him. There was a little tinfoil there, the, the fireworks going on. I'm kind of buying into that, He too. didn't get fireworks, and I was hoping he was going to get fireworks. Yeah, and that's kind of like an extra boost. You know, you fireworks are going off. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. By I got the, a little bit of extra left to finish this thing out right. strong. All jokes aside, he crushed it in that home run derby. It was so fun watching Brandon Moss just take those Did those you take notes? I see you got your notebook out here. Yeah, Did you take notes? Uh, well, no, because he left. He didn't speak to BK and I for how embarrassing we were on the field I mean, that I day. I can't blame him on that one. Hey, if you got questions, you can send them over to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We'll also get into a couple more mic drops as we continue to move along here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ES. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers.
on 101 ESPN. We'll get back to some of your Rhino Shield mic drops coming up in our next segment. Also, we're going to discuss how the big three can't have any hiccups if this team, in in all reality, wants a playoff push. So we'll get into that along with the mic drops. And by the way, I do have to apologize to Janet T-Bone. What happened? Well, apparently we didn't notice her great uh, slight at the Cardinals in her mic drop that we played a little bit earlier. A little backhand? We didn't catch it? A little backhanded earlier. Someone from the 636 says, how are you guys not going to discuss Janet's mic drop where she mentioned the part that during the pandemic we've been waiting to watch baseball and we're still waiting? (laughs) Didn't notice that slight by Janet. And honestly... Janet, you're my you're my favorite. Props to you, Janet, because that might be the best slight that we've heard here on BK and Ferrario. I, I, I actually, it's right up there with me when one day he's just sitting where Marty is, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you hear me go, what, what are the Cardinals lacking? Talent! <laughs> That's probably That's a good one there. as well. That's probably a good one as well. So we'll get to more mic drops, your Rhino Shield mic drops, coming up in our next segment. If you feel like last night's loss was a nail in the coffin for the Cardinals' remainder of the season but now the air comfort service text line 65780 from the 314 there's a good possibility tarasenko staying because no one wants to pick up that salary do you think the relationship can be repaired and what does he have to do to talk to each guy individually personally i don't think you can repair that relationship and i and i don't know if vladdy wants the relationship to be repaired and i don't think he's burned not you it's me yeah i don't think he's burned bridges with players right like i don't think he has like i don't think ryan o'reilly despises vladimir tarasenko and will never speak to him again because of what took place i honestly just think it's difference of opinion in terms of how the team is going and what vladdy wants for his remainder of his career and that's where the that's where the demand for a trade has gone out but the reason that i don't know if you can repair a relationship and i'm not talking individual relationships because i think those are fine talking about team and player relationships and jr made a great point when he was in with us on wednesday let's just say vladdy does come back let's say he plays in the first preseason game and he gets checked into the board hard and he gets taken off the ice when you go into the back of the locker room and you sit up on the medical table who's coming in to talk to you it's the guys that you don't feel comfortable with whoever may be right in that situation but it's the guys that you didn't feel comfortable with doing your surgeries looking at your injury. I don't think you can repair a relationship like that. So as much as people say, oh, well, he's probably going to be back. You should just deal with it. I, in, in no way, shape, or form do I feel like Vladdy can come back because I just don't know if he wants to be back. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. I, I don't think there's a problem with him and, and his teammates in the locker room. I think even if there was a strain in that relationship, I think you can kind of turn that around by just playing some good hockey, getting on the same page. Then everybody starts feeling better about it. I think it is with the medical team because you can kind of understand where Vladdy's coming from. And again, we don't know who's in the right, who's in the wrong, but you can kind of understand, okay, I've had three shoulder surgeries. I felt like the first two, why why wasn't this issue fixed then? I mean, it's kind of like if you take your dog to somebody and the dog either gets at a kennel or something and they get... Uh, hurt at the kennel you're not just gonna say all right that we're gonna fix our relationship you can have them again when i leave town no it's hard it's gonna be hard to fix that you don't want to go back and that's kind of the same thing for vladdy yeah i get it i just compared vladdy to a dog but you know whatever you you get you get what i'm saying I, i just don't think you can repair the relationship with the medical staff and even maybe even the front office as well you know what that's where i think it's you're a dog tanner you're a dog for that comment Sorry. There you go. From the 618 Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, our questions and answers segment. Hey, guys, would you re-sign Matt Carpenter to a very low price year by year like Yachty and Wayno for him to be one of your bench bats and emergency positions? 
Carp owes me money. Car- 30 bucks, right? Might be more at this point for the amount of times I've said, oh, he's, he's getting hot. Look at the advanced metrics. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Uh, no, I, I think Matt Carpenter's time in St. Louis is done after this year. I, I just don't think you bring him back because you've got Nolan Gorman knocking on, uh, knocking at the doors. He's playing in AAA right now, and he's playing pretty well. And Matt Carpenter's hitting 195. We've seen spurts. He does get on base at a decent clip, so he's very good July at July was walks. really good for him. He, he does a very good job of uh, – he knows the strike zone. It's just his bat speed's down. And you can't you don't want to sign a guy to be a guy that you say, all right, we need you to go up there. You're going to be the pinch hitter. Big moment in the game, and our best hope is that you draw a walk. You can't have that. So Matt Carpenter, great player in his time here in St. Louis. Uh, Cardinals Hall of Famer, I think, moving forward – I just don't think you bring him back next year. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. And the question was asked, would you guys do it? And I wouldn't do it. And here's why. My manager likes to play the veterans, the guys. And maybe it's not Mike Schilt. Maybe it's John Mozalock saying, look, we paid this guy. He needs to play. Whoever is making that decision, they like to play that player over other options for you. And I'm looking at last night, and I understand it was the lefty with the righty on the mound, but... If you're not going to play Tommy Edmond, you know, maybe you look at an Edmundo Sosa there. So I'm not going to re-sign Matt Carpenter just because I want to get other guys an opportunity to play. And frankly, there are going to be other guys out there that I think can benefit you off of the bench more than what Matt Carpenter can in terms of guys on the free agents market. No, not Millsy, although he would be good. I mean, John Nagowski might not be horrible for you right now. I like this text from the 910. Funny, Carpenter texts in, asked if you guys want him back. Sorry, Carp. Didn't realize that was you. Well, Give us get, a heads up next time. Just man. get the money from him next time. Next time, next time, Carp. Just let us know it's you, and then we'll we'll bring you back. <laughs> we got a lot of texts coming in about the final nail in the coffin. Wasn't last night. We're gonna dive back into that. Your Rhino Shield mic drops. What do you feel like last night? Was it the final nail in the coffin for the Cardinals' remainder of the season? We'll take your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app, the Rhino Shield mic drops, and on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. We'll get into those next here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tebow, we're going to head out to Canton. Was that the nail being put in the coffin there? Yeah, it might have been. Tebow, uh-huh. we're going to head out to Canton next. What we do you think of that? Are we going to get there in time? Yeah, probably. We're going to catch up with our guy Randy Carricker after oh, their Hall of Fame now. show that they had earlier. He's going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes. by them if you missed it out. Fantastic check out the website. stuff. We'll get into that a bit later with Randy. But for now, your Rhino Shield mic drops as we ask the question, the loss last night, the come-from-behind victory from the Atlanta Braves, uh, the walks that essentially lost the game for the Cardinals, the sweep by Atlanta, is that the final nail in the coffin for the rest of this season for you as a Cardinals fan? We've asked you for your mic drops. We've asked you for your Air Comfort Service text line texts. But let's start with those Rhino Shield mic drops. Marty, let's play Mike first. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Tanner. Morning, Mike. Mike. You ask if this was another nail in the coffin? Just the nail. Not a chance. This was a visit to the gravesite to put flowers on the grave. This thing is over. The steak is burned. The soda's flat. The beer is hot. The only thing you can do is clean up and get ready for another day. 2022. There you go. 
Now, see, here's the thing. I, I, I really thought he was going to be positive for a second. No, I didn't. I didn't. I did. He's like, you, you, the nail's not in the coffin yet? I'm like, all right. But I've been saying that for the last couple of weeks, and it's like, man, you just— in so many people I've gotten the text messages from on the show, I've gotten tweets saying, oh, Ferrari, you were so optimistic about the Blues. How? Why can't you be about the Cardinals team? Because I saw, I saw something in St. Louis, the, the Blues, where it was progress. And for the Cardinals, it's been you win a game, you lose a game. You win a game, you lose a game. You win two, you lose two. It's been 500 hockey. BK called it a rubber band mode a couple of weeks ago, and really that's what it has been. And then you get to this where one night the offense isn't clicking. The other night your pitcher can't get out of the first inning. Then your your bullpen struggles. You just haven't had a collective push. Can they do that still? Probably. I mean, Brandon Moss even said it. Like, you feel like you're out of it. All you need is four out of six, six out of seven, and you feel like you're back into it. But they're going to have to do something that they haven't done this entire season yet in a matter of six, seven weeks. They got to get all three pieces clicking, and you you mentioned it perfectly. That series against the Braves defined it perfectly. Night one, you don't get the great start from your starting pitching. Also, the offense wasn't there. Then nights two and three, Tuesday, yesterday, and on Wednesday, what happens? Well, then the bullpen struggles, and the offense didn't play that well either on uh, Wednesday. So you haven't been able to get everything clicking. At spurts, we've seen some guys on the offense get hot, like uh, Goldschmidt's hot now. Arnado's not there yet. Tyler O'Neill looks like he's starting to heat back up. You look at the pitching. What happens? Adam Wayne right there for a minute is the only guy that was your quality starter. You look at the bullpen. Right as we start to say, hey, Helsley's going to join the circle of trust, then he has that blow-up inning, and you go, oh, we're back just down to three guys. So That's your yeah, fault. That's not my – come on. That's not fair. That's your fault. But, yeah, everything hasn't clicked at the same time. If it does – it might be a little late if it can even occur this season. Let's get to another mic drop. Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. If you feel like the nail is in the coffin after that loss last night for the Cardinals, here's Tommy. Hey, guys. Uh, hey, Tommy. Last night was absolutely a nail in the coffin for me. Um, I was there at the game uh, with my oh. wife, and we had so stayed funny. to Tommy. watch Alex close out the game. And with each walk, <laughs> you could – just feel the stadium become deflated and more deflated and more people walk away and more expletives and it was just absolutely gut-wrenching um yeah I mean we've been to gosh 15 games this season we've seen a lot of losses we were at the entire cup series that you referenced last night was just on another level Man, I, f- I feel bad for that's seen uh, a lot of bad baseball games that, that's brutal I can't. I couldn't even imagine being at that game yesterday. Well, and you know, Ben Fred said that last night on Twitter, and then I saw it on his article today, the one we talked about of the injuries, and he said, like, as soon as the bases got loaded, he said it felt like it was a mass exit in Bush Stadium of everyone up because they, they knew what was going to happen, and that's what it feels like this Cardinals team is. You see them take the field. You, you get excited when they hit a three-run bomb in the first inning and you're up by three runs. But then all of a sudden, it's, oh, here we go again. It is the head dip, and I think that's what it was last night. And I believe it started before Alex Reyes. I believe it started when Gallegos entered that game. I think it started on the two-run homer. He's Maybe su- not so much when Gallegos entered. Here's where I was with Gallegos. So here's surpri- he surprised me when he got those first two outs. In the second out, I mean, that was nearly a home run. That took Bader to the warning track right up against the wall. But then when Freeman got the single, that's where you're like, okay, this is why we were a little concerned of putting Giovanni into the game. The bomb happened, and then from there, it's like, oh, here we go again. So Tommy's not wrong there. I I mean, I I do feel like there's this mass gray cloud over Bush Stadium when they're home. 
fans are just expecting this to happen. And frankly, that's kind of what it was during the blue season as well. You watched those games and expected them to fall apart. Yeah, you're sitting there going, all right, surely it won't happen again, but I know it's coming and when is it coming? And that's not a great feeling as a fan watching it. And you know the you know the players feel that too, I would bet. I bet they were sitting in that game last night. All right, we got the league. Gallegos gives the two-run homer. Oh, boy, now what? Yeah, I saw in a uh, post-dispatch picture of Harrison Bader after the loss last night, and Bader, like, you could see him lean back, and, like, you could just see the air coming, like, the air coming out of a balloon uh, after that one. Uh, we got a couple more Rhino Shield mic drops to get to. Let's hear next from Ryan. So, I would have to say this series is a make it or break it for me. If they go out in this series and they're scoring three runs and a total of, you know, eight or eight to 11 runs this whole series, whether they win or lose, I don't know if I can have faith in this team to come back against the Dodgers, the Giants, the Padres, the Brewers, the Reds. I, I don't know if they have it in them this year to do it. That's kind of where I'm at with this one, too. And you got the Brewers, of course, starting next week. So that's going to be not this coming week, of course, the next week. But you'll have that kind of starting the the gauntlet of games for the rest of the season. And, and look, Mike Shilton, nobody and Brandon Moss even said it. You're never out of it as a baseball player until mathematics take you out of it. But three against the Royals, three against the Pirates and then another three against the Royals. I'm really looking at this first series against Kansas City, T-Bone, and I'm thinking, Man, if you don't sweep Kansas City, you're essentially putting yourself out of it. Like, I understand you need to get series wins, but you're going to have to get a sweep in one of these three series for you to actually get the fans to buy back in that there's a push coming. Yeah, and you have to now because we kept saying, well, you got to win series. Well, okay, you had to take two or three, two or three, two or three, two game set. You got to take both of those. Well, you just got swept. And that, that throws, if you lost, if you were able to take one, you could say, okay, well, we need one sweep. Well, you just got swept. So to make up for that two of three that you just missed out on, you got to have two sweeps. This is a big stretch. The Royals series will be telling for me as well, but I'm looking at the next nine as kind of the one that I've got an eye on. If you struggle against Kansas City at home, in Pittsburgh for three, and in Kansas City for three, then that's about when I may go, okay, it's time to start putting that nail in the coffin. Yep, we got one more to get to. Then I want to get to a text message, Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. But let's hear our last uh, Rhino Shield mic drop, Marty. Mike Schultz a, a great guy and all, and I don't like a doubt was his baseball knowledge for one second, but I don't. I just don't think he's he's what we need. Um, there's a fine line between being someone's buddy and being the manager and, and earning respect and laying down sort of a fear factor. Um, he's definitely their buddy, but none of that fear factor that Tony Larusa knew how to control is. So I've. <laughs> I understand where she's coming from there, and we appreciate the Rhino Shield bike drops, and please keep sending them in. We'll get to more of them as the show moves along here today. I understand where she's coming from, T-Bone, but look, the scare tactics don't work in terms of managing or coaching anymore. Like, look around Major League Baseball. There's nobody out there that's that's using the scare tactic and going into the press conferences and calling out their players and saying, well, this guy sucks, he shouldn't be on the team, that guy shouldn't have been in this... Like, nobody does that anymore. It's it's all about the relationships that you build. And I do, I, I do, I do fault, I don't, I don't want to fault listeners for this one or fans for this one, but I will say, like, I think a lot of people are hoping Mike Schilt just becomes this, this 
hatred person where he's just going to start flipping tables over left, left and right. She ties it to Tony La Russa. Tony La Russa in Chicago is not using the scare tactic with players anymore. I mean, we saw him high knee it out to the home plate the other night when Jose Abreu got hit in the head. Good foot speed. Great foot speed. So I don't think anybody does that scare tactic. So to look at Mike Schilt and say, oh, well, he doesn't have a fear with his players, that's not in Major League Baseball anymore. And I don't think that's how winning teams succeed. I mean, look at the, the teams that are having success right now. Dave Roberts doesn't do a fear factor in L.A., you know. Gabe Kapler's not doing that with the San Francisco Giants. Yeah. Alex is not that way in Boston. Yeah, and that's not, that's not in its place in the game anymore because, and I don't even know if I want to say it's buddy-buddy, but it is about having that that relationship of all right i need you to you're you're playing well here's what i'm thinking we'll go back and forth and then we'll work on the lineup and this and that so i think that it, it is more of the buddy buddy side of not so much the buddy buddy side of things but there is that relationship that you have to have as a manager with players now because look at it now paul DeYoung, he is struggling and there's no there's no hiding it the cardinals want to try to get paul DeYoung back and back and going Part of the person that's going to help him is Mike Schilt, talking with him, having a good, honest assessment with him. Here's what we see here, what you're thinking, how are you feeling, this and that. You don't want to just go out and say, Paul DeYoung's not playing very well. We need to put him on the bench. Why is he on this team? Well, that would destroy Paul DeYoung. Mike Schilt's doing his best to balance out uh, with guys that are struggling, trying to keep them positive, keep lifting them up, trying to get them out of the slump, because it is as much a physical game as it is a mental game. Yeah, I mean, I just look at, some of the managers that are having success right now. And I know Alex Cora, he is beloved by his players. And I've never seen Alex Cora pull a, a scare tactic with his team. And I saw on the Air Comfort Service text line, I think from the 314 said, yeah, but there's a difference between having a scare tactic and being your teammate or your, your player's best friends. I don't think he has that. I do think he's just defending his players in terms of media when he's talking about individual players so appreciate the rhino shield mic drops keep sending them over on the 101 espn app also the air comfort service text line at 65780 we will head out to canton next we're going to catch up with randy Carricker and uh had a phenomenal show this morning with michelle smallman road trip that's right we're going to talk a little with rk next here on bk and ferrario on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario You know, you, you want to give young players opportunities, the Mikolas, the Walmans, uh, potentially the Pruniviches of the world as they as they f- gain gain experience. And to do that, you have to you have to give them opportunities. So it's a uh, it, it's certainly, a, a you know, when you when you lose a player of Vince's caliber, it makes a difference, but it does create opportunities for other people. That's President of Hockey Operations Doug Armstrong for the St. Louis Blues talking about moving on from Vince Dunn as a defenseman and giving an opportunity for some of the younger kids right now on the roster. And, you know, Lou Korak was on with us yesterday, uh, filled in for the 12 o'clock hour. And if you missed it, you could check it out on the podcast, BKM Ferrario, uh, 101ESPN.com. Thank you to our friends at I Promise for those. But Lou had mentioned in a commercial break about how you're in the spot right now where if you're in win mode you might need to be looking for more of a veteran presence than giving your younger players an opportunity and i do think there's a fine line in terms of getting players acclimated to be ready to be a part of a championship team like inserting young players into a roster and trying to have them a part of it 
but also looking at the veteran presence and saying, okay, well, maybe we need some of these guys. And, of course, Doug there on the return was talking about on defense with Vince Dunn. You talk about Nico Mikola. You talk about Jake Wallman. You talk about Scott Perunovich. But here's the problem, T-Bone. You have a veteran presence on your defensive side, Tory Crew, Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, Marco Scandella, and Robert Bortuzzo right now. But you've lost a lot of veteran experience. You've lost Carl Gunnarsson. You've lost Jay Bomeister. You know, you've lost Alex Petrangelo now. So if you look at that and you say, okay, well, maybe it's time to give a Nico Mikola an opportunity, a Jake Wallman an opportunity, a Scott Perunovich an opportunity. Sure. But if you're in this championship window, this win now mode where you have a couple of years left of this, I think you could get them acclimated in terms of being a fifth or sixth defenseman or being in and out of the lineup for you. I don't think you can look at it and say, okay, well, we're ready to have Nico Mikola take over Vince Dunn's 16, 17, 18 minutes a night. That, I think, is going to be a difficult process to try and transition with young guys into a championship window. Yeah, I'm with you 100% because I look at that and I say, okay, we're in this championship window. And there is a time in which you have to say, okay, we have to know what we have and some of our younger guys. They did that last year with a Jordan Cairo. They elevated him in the four, in the top six. They saw what he had and they said, okay, he played pretty well. Now we know what he, the next step is for him. Jake Wallman, I don't know if he's ready, as you said, to fill in for Vince Dunn's slide into Vince Dunn's spot. So what you can do, my thought process with the Blues would be, all right, let's go get that veteran presence. Maybe it's in the free agency or via trade, and we can maybe add him into the system. And then what you have is you have Mikola as depth, and Mikola can continue to watch and learn and then kind of be that seventh defenseman that comes in when someone else needs maybe a, a day off because of an injury, nagging injury, or you want to he matches up better with somebody and you want to see what you have in Mikola. Because I do think Nico Mikola is going to be a good defenseman for the St. Louis Blues moving forward. But if I had the chance to go get a veteran presence rather than say, okay, I want to know what I have in Mikola, I would rather have the presence from a veteran because we are in this win now mode. Well, and I do think there's it because I've seen a couple of text messages come through and, and say, you know, well, how do you get these guys into games if you're not going to play them in terms of young players? Look at Joel Edmondson, look at Colton Pareko. Those are different ex examples, in my opinion, because when you inserted Colton Pareko and Joel Edmondson into your lineup, and I believe that was 2014, 15, that they came in, they, they won the spots in training camp, and then they became starters for the team. Think of the guys you had on the roster at the time. You had Jay Bomeister. You had Alex Petrangelo. I think at the time you had a Roman Polak. You had a Carl Gunnarsson around. You had veteran guys who could help groom some of those younger players. And I'm not saying Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, Tory Krug can't do that, but I think you're missing that that one grizzled vet that can be there for you. And I know a lot of people have texted and said, well, go get Zidane Chara. That's kind of where I'm getting at with this. I think you are in need of a player like Chara. You're in need of a player who has been through the ringer throughout his time in the NHL, not to be a top four defenseman, because I do believe your top four is set. But somebody who can play on that third pairing and can eat a lot of minutes for you and kind of help show those younger guys kind of what the ropes are through a long season. Because like it or not, Mikola, Wallman, Perunovic, they haven't gone through an 82-game schedule yet of a season plus playoffs plus preseason. Like the, Mikola's first real long shot was this past year when he played 40-something games. Like that's not an 82-game schedule. Yeah, and, and that's a good point that you make there about an 82-game schedule. Players... 
players don't just show up and they go, all right, let's go. I can do 82. That first season of players getting into the National Hockey League, we hear it in baseball a lot, too, is the rookies get called. The rookies don't play 162 games in Major League Baseball in the minor leagues. They play about 140 to 130 games. So that first year in Major League Baseball, it's, okay, I feel good. And then there's, oh, wait a minute, there's more games that need to be played. Now I haven't, I've gone into the sprint mode. We're getting to the finish. And I'm a little, I'm a little tired. Kind of the same with hockey. The first season, that full 82 game experience, you're going to have to adjust to it. And Nico Mikola, like you said, about 40 games last year, will double that. Is is he ready to play a full 82 game season? Probably, but he's going to have to adjust to how to take care of his body through a full one through not through one full 62 that'd be a lot of hockey that's a lot of freaking hockey man <laughs> through a full 82 game season. i don't think i could handle a 162 uh, game season of the nhl and i don't even play the sport yeah nice try though you know i'm starting a for effort i'm starting starting to go down a rabbit hole here because Uh-oh. we're talking about this and, and thinking of you know young guys and stepping into roles because you do have to get these guys acclimated uh t-bone are you ready for a ferrari 05 a ferrari are you kidding me hit the open marty you're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. So, five guys, I'm going to change this a little bit because I was thinking five blues players that are ready to take the next step. And I'm going to switch this to five blues players that need to take the next step because I do think you need these guys to step up in a massive role for the blues. Number five, Ville Husso. Now, I think Ville Husso was good last year. Was he great? No. But I don't know if you need... Uh, who had the most shutouts on the team. That is very true, T-Bone. But thanks for stealing my one stat that I always go to. You don't need your backup goaltender to be great. You need your starter to be great. You're looking at 30 games, 25 games from Ville Husso in a normal season. And I do think that Jordan Bennington can handle a workload of 60 games in a season. But Ville needs to take the next step. You need to get a little bit more consistency from him. He was really good towards the end of the season. At the beginning of the season, it was you felt like every time the first shot came, Ville Husso would allow it. It would go right through his legs or right over his shoulder. So Ville needs to take that next step. You need to see this guy kind of perform at a Jake Allen-esque level. Number four for me is Jake Wallman. And this goes, this ties into the young defensive mindset here. Jake Wallman is the same stature as Vince Dunn. Vince Dunn played with a little bit of physicality. I think Jake Wallman can provide a little bit of a physicality there. But Jake Wallman, he's not going to be a top four defenseman, in my opinion. Like, he's not top four level. But he is an everyday capable defenseman for your team. And if he is going to get that shot, you need to see a little bit more from him on the blue line. I liked his offensive pressure. He's got some speed. He has a heavy shot. But if he's going to be playing 60, 70 games out of the season as your third line left side defenseman, you need to see a little bit more physical play from him in front of your net. And I think Jake Wallman can get there. He ha- he doesn't have anything else to prove in the AHL. It's either NHL or he's not going to be. It's kind of like that Jordan Schmaltz situation, if people remember that name. He, he had done everything he could in the AHL, but he couldn't crack the NHL roster. And that's where Jake Wallman's at right now for me. And if the Blues aren't going to add somebody to the defensive core via free agency or via trade, we've been talking a lot last year, they needed that big body. If he can step into that role and take that next step, then that helps the Blues, not just this year, but that helps them long-term with his control. Number three on this list is Clem Costin. 
And I think we are at the point now where the Blues have to find out what he truly is. There's no more of this, well, could Clint Costin be a top six winger? Is he going to provide some goal punch? No more of this top prospect situation with Clint Costin. you got to let him play, see where he falls into this. And frankly, I'm not looking for Clint Costin to be a 25-goal scorer. But what I am looking what? for him, I know, I know, he's not going to be as good as Vladdy Tarasenko, T-Bun, despite yeah. what you believe. I mean, he had he was averaging a point. No, wait, No, sorry. he wasn't. No, he wasn't. No, nope. he's averaging half a point a game. Yeah, that's that's not on the same level there. But anyway, I like your I like your effort 41 there. Forty-one points a season. If right you're there. putting Clem Costin in, you have to get to the point where you just need to have an effective winger on the third or fourth line. He's a body, goes to the front of the net, plays physical, which is kind of the identity of this Blues team. But Clem Costin's to the point now where you got to, you know, it's ish or get off the pot with him, right? Like, there's no more of this. Well, sooner or later he's going to get a crack at this lineup. You got to move forward with this, and I think that's what the season will be for him. My top two are the ones that I think are going to be the most important for this Blues team. Nico Mikola is number two. Like it. I think Nico Mikola is ready to be an everyday defenseman now. This kind of contradicts what I was, I was just say, spending my segment about. Here's the thing, though. He's got to have a good partner who has some experience under his belt. Maybe that's Robert Portuzo. Maybe that's somebody else. Maybe you acquire him in trade. Maybe you go get a Zdeno Chara and you put Mikola on the right side with Chara. Mikola needs to get an opportunity, but Mikola also needs to be that net front presence. You know, my golden goose, Jamie Alexiak that we didn't acquire. That's what I think Nico Mikola can get to. Now, he's not the same size as Alexiak, but he plays gritty in front of the net. But I think that's he's ready for that shot, but I also think you have to get that veteran presence to play with him so he has a little bit more sustainability on the blue line with him. And do you think we saw some of that last season, kind of him starting to take that next step? Again, he played 40 games, so he had a decent sample size of Nico Mika last year. Do you think he started to take that step last year? Maybe this is the year that he takes that just propels and goes up from here i think he's on uh, he's on a trajectory of what joel edmondson did in his first couple of years came in was really good you know it was very raw still kind of skating around missing some opportunities this could be that next step for him but it's just a matter of what that internal competition looks like and that's why i think he needs to take that next step because your depth on the blue line you really don't have much in terms of oh yeah this guy can be a top four guy you got Perunovic, you have Wallman, you have Mikola. Those are the three guys that you're looking at saying, okay, they're the next pieces, but all three of those scream third pairing to me. You need to find somebody who can take that next step into a top four. Can I, can I get you number one? Go for it. Mackenzie McEachern. No. Oh. Uh, look, I love Mac, but unfortunately it's not him. It's Robert Thomas. Oh, that was my next guess. Robert Thomas, he's 20, I think he'll be 22 years old for this upcoming season. And a lot of people are going to be like, Robert Thomas, he's been in the league for all... Robert Thomas has got to be a top six winger or centerman for you. He's got to outplay Braden Shen. He's got to outplay Jordan Cairo. You need to get him to shoot the puck more. He needs to take that next step because he's that next wave, that next transition for the Blues team. So Robert Thomas, I'm kind of looking at this season as a big make or break season for him. And it'll be interesting to see what his contract structure looks like. Does he get a two-year deal like Jordan Cairo? Do you give him maybe a three-year deal and show the confidence in him? Or do you just go one year with him and say, prove it because I don't believe he's arbitration eligible and he's not going to arbitration. Give him a one-year deal, $2 million, and say, Thomas, go prove it. Next year you go to arbitration and you might be able to make some big bucks with us. Or we give you a longer extension. This is a massive year for Robert Thomas because it is the win-now mode still. Yeah, 
the contract will be interesting. I think they're going to go one-year deal with Robert Thomas and say kind of prove it. I'm with you, though. He does have to shoot the puck more last year. That was his biggest thing. And I think he's a good playmaker for the Blues when he has the puck on his stick, able to help find guys. If you put him on the perfect line with the guys on his wings, then I think we'll see a big season from Robert Thomas. But if he's not shooting the puck, then he becomes less of a threat for other teams. And that's the biggest thing for me. Will he take that next step? I, I really hope so. So my Ferrario 5, guys that need to take the next step this season for the Blues. Ville Husso, number 5, Jake Wallman, 4, Klim Kostin, 3, Mikola, number 2, and Robert Thomas at number and 1. And McEachern would have been probably 6. Probably that's fine. Close. Yep. Hey, if you missed Carriker and Smallman live this morning from Canton, man, you missed a fun show. Lots of great interviews. They were broadcasting live as a preview for former Ram Isaac Bruce induction Bruce. into the That's right, baby. Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2020. If you missed their chats with Isaac or a lot of his teammates, Ricky Prohl, Kurt Warner, DeMarco Farr, you can hear all of those later on tonight for the best of replay show highlighting that character and Smallman's broadcast from this morning in Canton. Catch it this evening starting at 6 here on 101 ESPN, courtesy of Schnooks and Twin Peaks. We asked the question if the loss last night to the Braves was the nail in the coffin for you as Cardinals fans. We'll dive back into that. Also, we're going to talk about how if you're going to make a push, which I know a lot of people have said playoff push, you guys need to stop being crazy. You're going to have to have no more hiccups from your big three. And I don't know if that, I think that might be too much to ask for. We'll get into that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The reason we've been as competitive as we are is because of Giovanni Gallegos and Alex Reyes. You know, it, it always hurts at the end when you have a lead, you don't bring it home. We haven't had that happen very often this year at all and it happened tonight and you know those guys are hurting but I can tell you this I'd put them in that situation any day of the week and take my chances and uh, just wasn't their night well guess what if the Cardinals want to be in the playoffs this year it's going to have to lie on the shoulders of Giovanni Gallegos Henesis Cabrera and Alex Reyes preach brother Latino heat they're going to be the sole reason that they find their way into the playoffs you know why T-Bone why? Because nobody else can be trusted out of that bullpen. Wait, have we everybody be- no. into this circle yeah. of trust? Despite what you believe of putting everyone in the circle of trust, Ryan Helsley can't be trusted. Justin Miller can't be trusted. Garcia can't be trusted. Heck, there might be a guy in there that I don't even know about who can't be trusted. Wait, we should probably give that guy an opportunity. Probably then. an opportunity then. Maybe TJ McFarlane, he can't be trusted. He's Andrew been, Miller. He's been good of late. Let's get a little But the reason him. I say that is because I don't think Mike Schilt trusts those guys. I don't blame him. Because you're not seeing them in situations. Listen to these numbers. 153 innings, 3.06 ERA, 52 earned runs from the big three. Latino Heat. Outside of that, you've had 139 earned runs from 234 in a third innings pitched screams to you well you can't throw anybody else out there other than those three so if there's going to be a playoff push you can't have any more of what happened the last two nights from your three and if you do playoffs are going to be a very slim chance for this team because nobody else can be trusted yeah i'm with you and with the hiccups you can't see the hiccups from these three and what i mean by that is you can't have a stretch like where we've seen 
uh, Yadier Molina, who's going through a bit of a tough time now. He's he struggled since June. You can't have Gallegos have six, seven outings in a row where he struggles to get guys out like he has in the last two. I don't think that'll occur. And no matter what, these three guys are locks for the circle of trust. We're not going to pull these guys out. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they Gallegos are locks. has blown five saves in a row. We got to pull him out. No, the, the problem the, is you can't throw anybody else in there, and you got to have people in exactly. the circle of trust to have a circle of trust. Yeah, and it takes three for a circle of trust, right? No. Or do we determine two? No, I think you could do one in a circle of trust. That's not a circle. That's a dot. You put somebody in the circle. You're not making a circle with the people. Come on, T-Bone. Oh, yeah. But here's where I'm at with all of this. And this is kind of where I have been in watching it last night. Sooner or later, you're going to have to start putting some faith in your other guys. And this is where part of me, and look, you know, to answer the question that I know Mike Schilt has asked plenty of times, you know, it's not your job. So don't ask. Who would you have gone with there? I'm not a manager in Major League Baseball. The most I've ever managed is a fantasy league, and I'm horrible at it. Do you have problems with your bullpen? Yeah, terrible. But look, if you're managing a team like the Cardinals in a playoff race, you have your big three. You have the guys you trust. But you got to make sure that you're, you're dictating their time accordingly to where you're not wearing these guys down like they have been. I mean, 153 innings from those three guys this season, that is a lot of arms. I believe it makes up 40% if I did the math correct. That's insanity to me. So as sooner or later, I think Mike Schilt is going to have to find a way to put these other guys into spots that they can succeed in so you can give these three nights off. And your offense isn't delivering your these guys to have nights off. Does Flaherty and Michaelis come back and give you complete games? I highly doubt it. Maybe they give you seven innings. But if your offense isn't giving you the cushion like they did against the Cubs to go to somebody else, then you're going to have to start finding spots to place guys and have a little bit more success with. Yeah, somebody's going to have to step up in the bullpen, and we keep throwing out the names of Justin Miller, Ryan Helsley. But, I mean, it's just a fact. If someone doesn't step up, you're going to burn these guys. They already are starting to look a little bit of fatigue. Based on what we saw from Gallegos the last two nights, maybe he's getting a little bit tired, and you are going to have to ride them down this stretch a lot. But if you have a chance to give like Gallegos a night off yesterday when he just threw, I think I believe it was 28 pitches the day before, if you had someone that you could trust, maybe it's Ryan Helsley would throw the seventh, Cabrera the eighth, and then you can go to Reyes for the ninth. That is just huge for the Cardinals because if these guys start to show signs of fatigue and then they start performing poorly, then you're looking at a bullpen where there's nobody that you can really trust or – no, not so much nobody that you can trust because you're always going to have faith in Gallegos, Reyes, and Cabrera, but there's always going to be that big question mark. All right, what percentage do we have Cabrera at tonight? Is he at 75%? How tired is he really feeling? All these kind of questions start to snowball on a bullpen that's already struggled this year. And then if you start to kind of see the big three struggle, to me, there's no shot of a playoff hope. Well, and that's why I really felt like last night was a nail in the coffin because you lose the game where you allow the Atlanta Braves, a team that has not been a game over 500 at all this season you allow them to come from behind two out of the three times in this series on top of it I I mean you have just used Gallegos for this game tonight and you know you're going to need two of those three and I don't even know if you go back to Reyes I would assume you can in that situation because he hasn't thrown an awful lot over the last few days but it did feel like last night was a nail in the coffin, even though mathematically you're not out of this one. And there are going to be games, you brought up a point there, of Rays maybe not available. Uh, tonight, if we look at tonight's game, Gallegos, more than like I would be shocked if he comes into the game tonight because he he's does. thrown, I think, about 50 pitches in the last two. So Gallegos is off limits there. You look at uh, Cabrera. Cabrera probably off limits because he's gone the last two games. 
And then you also take a look at Alex Reyes. He threw 21 pitches last night, struggled with command. He's probably available. He's probably available. He's the only one that's available. You're going to have games down the stretch where you don't have, whether it's two or three like we think tonight that are unavailable, or where you have all three guys that are unavailable for a game. And that's the games that we say you got to start winning series. Those are the games now that kind of have to flip in the tide for the Cardinals. Instead of, all right, well, we don't have the big three. Maybe this is that game that they drop in that series. No, you're at the point where every game's must win. So those games that we say the big three's not available, it'd be great if we win it. They almost become, all right, it's not great if we win it. We kind of have to win it. Yeah, without question. So let's hear a couple more of your Rhino Shield mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. If you felt like last night's loss in the series against the Braves was the nail in the coffin for this season, let's first hear from Neil. I think the Cardinals' playoff hopes are definitely done now, but it wasn't just because of last night. I've thought since about June, especially July, whenever they had the horrible July, and with how well the Giants and the Brewers have been, and the three big guys in the NL West, all three three of those teams are probably going to make the playoffs this year, and our wild card probably being our only hope with making the playoffs with how well Milwaukee has played. So I think it's been a little longer from last night, but last night was the final nail in the coffin. There was about 12 of them already in there, however many (laughs) nails it takes to nail it in. It's a good point. I have to find out how many nails it takes to nail them in. But And I think that's where a lot of people are going to come down on this, T-Bone, is you look at the rest of this month, and yeah, it's a little bit of favor with you come the next three series, two against the Royals, one against the Pirates, but then you get into the Brewers where you're playing them multiple times. You're taking on the Dodgers. You're taking on the Padres. You're taking on more of the Brewers. It just doesn't set the team up for a good position in terms of success. Let's get a couple more before we get out of here. Next up, Dylan. First things first, it's never over in baseball until it's over. I like it, Dylan. You're never done until the last man's out. Get it, Dylan. That's the beauty of the sport. On the other hand, we Uh are in St. Louis on the edge of oblivion as far as this season is concerned, and it's been a real long time since we've been in that position. And I think that that's going to lead to some concerns in the front office about how the team has been run. And it should be. First of all, Dylan, you have an amazing voice. You sounded like Sam Elliott there. <laughs> Marty got it. You don't know who Sam Elliott is. Nah, Marty, T-Bone is... Freaking legend, I know. Man. I mean, I was watching, actually, Tombstone the other night, and it's just every time I hear that man's voice and then see his mustache, I'm thinking, my God, why can't it be like this? Greatest oh, mustache I know who in Sam history. Elliott Amen. Is now. They, okay. Yeah, you had to Google it. But look, uh, it isn't over until it's over, and I guess you can hold on to that optimism, but when it's the same thing over and over and over and over sooner or later you just have to admit that it's like this might not be working out for us yeah i'm with you there but i kind of am going to stick kyle mcclellan was on with the danny mack show with bk uh two days ago i believe it was and he was talking about Uh, how world series champion kyle mcclellan make sure you world series champion kyle mcclellan he he mentioned you know does it seem does it seem impossible that they're going to be able to climb out of this It, it seems kind of very unlikely but he said, I was a part of that team that did it, so I don't want to say it's impossible. Yeah, but that and team had players that you don't have on this team. 
See, that's where I kind of push back a little bit. And again, I'm not comparing this team to the 2011 World Series yeah, you team. Are just like BK. They the Cardinals have the ace, like the 2011 team, where they had uh, Chris Carpenter was their who's ace. The, who's the ace on the scene that performs like Chris Carpenter? Adam Wainwright's that guy. He's the guy that comes in in that clutch scenario where you need him to give you a good start. Adam Wainwright is that guy for you this year. And then you take a look at the lineup. The corners are solidified in Goldie and Arnado. Now, granted, they have not played great baseball together this season. They've both been good, but they've never clicked at the exact same time. And then you look at the outfield. Who was the big bat in the outfield then? It was uh, Matt Holliday that was a part of that team in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. You had Matt Holliday, but you also had Lance Berkman. And he was the surprise player. But you don't have those guys. They don't have the surprise player, and right now they're missing that third bat. That's the two biggest things for me, and they don't have the bullpen really to connect with. Yeah. That bullpen for that 2011 team was really good. They, they Once they made those moves, that solidified the bullpen. The Cardinals didn't make those moves at the deadline this year, and maybe they'll go back and regret it. Again, not comparing this team to the 2011 team. There are some similarities. Not exactly the same team, but some similarities, and I will never say never until they are technically mathematically eliminated. One more. Here's Robert. The Cardinals are like whiskey, only they're trying to sell it as Jack Daniels, but when you take the label off, it's just a bottle of Kentucky Tavern. You know, you drink it because you're desperate for baseball, but at the end of the day, you just get a nasty headache. My gosh, that is phenomenal because... I've had that before where you go to a it's usually when you go to a bar at a wedding and they don't have the top shelf liquor and then you, they just give you whatever whiskey that's there and you drink you're like this is terrible. It's kind of what this is. That is a really good comment. Kind of actually, actually what I was watching last night. Phenomenal mic drops, Rhino Shield mic drops, 101 ESPN app, also Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. We're going to switch up the topic of mic drops coming up in about 15 minutes or so because we talked about Yadier Molina and how it might be a necessity if you're going to make a push next year to have him back. There was a lot of people that pushed back. And then, of course, Andrew Kisner delivers that walk-off bomb, it looked like, in when his bat dropped in the second inning. But it still was a nice bat drop or bat flip, whatever you call it. Are we to the point now where they might be better off not bringing Yachty back? So you can send us the mic drops on 101 ESPN app, Rhino Shield mic drops. You can also text us here, Comfort Service, text line 65780. But we're going to dive into the junk drawer next here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time to dive into the junk drawer here on BK and Ferrario. We'll get to some of your mic drops on Yadier Molina coming up in our next segment. But T-Bone, I need you to remember a name because this name is going to go down in history very soon. I'm not good with names. Well, you're not good with faces either, so figure it out, I guess. Alfredo Rivera. No, that's not a dish at an Italian restaurant. That is the name. That is the name of possibly the greatest storyteller of our time. We all remember the viral videos of, you know, the hide your kids, hide your wife fella. Um, There was another one as well that I'm completely forgetting. But basically those viral videos of a news story that somebody was a part of. Well, Alfredo is a flight attendant on a flight that got really out of hand. An unruly passenger who started a fight, who was starting to become a big issue. I'm not going to try and step on Alfredo's lawn. I'm going to let him describe it for you. Take a listen. Now, understand something. I'm a flight attendant. That means I attend the flights. Sometimes our job has us attending to crazy people. If you push us too far, you're going to have to attend this ass whooping. You see, because on this particular flight, I'm sitting in the jump seat 
And I'm just looking at him act a damn fool. <laughs> He's spitting and cussing and going crazy. I say, that's enough. I got up and I walked over there. And by the way, this man smelled like a pack of Marlboro cigarettes, uh, four shots of Everclear alcohol, and regret. So I know something's about to go down. At this point, he touching all over my co-worker's breast. And where he f***ed up at is when he touched my titties. Because I don't play that. So what I did is I took out the duct tape. I said, he got scared, start stuttering, say, hold up, wait a minute, something ain't right. I said, yeah, we about to mummify your ass now, boy. So we wrapped him up. Better than any Christmas present you ever see. He won't be coming on no more Frontier flights at all. There were no sound effects in this. This was all Alfredo telling the story of a guy who got out of hand and he put basically tape around this man and taped him to his seat for the rest of the flight. Uh, I I want there to be video of that. There is video of it. There's video of the guy being taped up in this news story. I'm going to retweet this on my Twitter account at Ferrario101ESPN. You can see him being taped up in this video after he's getting out, out of control, basically, on the flight. Alfredo kind of tackles him into his seat and then tapes him up. What are you getting so worked up about that you have to... I don't even know if I could do that if... I get the flight attendant mad enough to tape me if I tried. I've never experienced that type of outrage on a flight. Like, I've seen people yell. I've seen people get upset. But I've never seen somebody have to be basically tackled by a flight attendant and have to be taped to his seat. You think he was upset because they ran out of snacks? Probably. Or drinks. Oh, that one would get me. Smelled like Marlboro, Everclear, and regret. That might be my favorite line from Alfredo. I'm flying out to Vegas in about a month or so. Should I try? See if you can get see? on Alfredo's flight. See, oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I was going to see if there's just any way that you can make someone upset enough to where they're like, that's it. I'm getting the tape out. You're going to be taped to your chair. It is It is probably the best video I think I have ever seen. It's already got like 9.3 million views. Give it a couple of days and there's going to be a remix to this like there was from the Hide Your Kids, Hide Your Wife fella. T-Bone, what do you got today? All right, so we've talked a couple of times when we do um, the junk drawer about people and kind of whether it be they've gone to somebody's house by mistake and that they accidentally, you know, built them a new deck or the one story of someone went to the hospital, accidentally got the the doctors accidentally amputated the wrong leg. Oh, yeah, that one was rough. Well, in Hawaii, there was a man that had a mistaken identity, and what happened was... He was in a mental hospital for two years because of a mistaken identity. How do you get Hold out, Hold up. Hold up. You were put in a mental hospital because of a mistaken identity? Yeah. <laughs> that is frightening. Two years he's there. Because here's why this is really frightening. And look, this by no means is talking down about any mental illnesses or anything like that. But the scary part of this is what if this was... Like, if this was you, and you tried to explain to the people there that, like, hey, I am not mentally ill, I shouldn't be here, they're not going to believe you. They're going to assume that you are mentally ill, and they're going to keep you in that facility. Yeah, that's the thing, is I just don't know how you get out. Now, the way he got out was he got his family to petition the court, is the way I understand it, and then that judge was able to, I guess, look at the documents and say, okay, that's not him, we can rule him out, but... 
I'm with you. How do you how do you convince people? There's no way you convince people in inside there that hey, this this isn't me. You guys got the wrong person. Did it say how he got out? Uh, it was the so he reached to his family or he was in touch with his family and they uh, filed to the Hawaii whoever the judge was in this case for Hawaii and then he was able to help get him out. Wow, that is just frightening. I, I, that might be one of the because w- there's a movie there's a movie with Robert Downey Jr. and Halle Berry about that. And I'm forgetting what the name of it is called, but basically, he's a police officer. She's a a mental institution. Uh, she, she's a worker there, but then they like start to change like their identity on her, and then they find out that that she was mentally ill and was a part of the facility. It's a really weird video. But the problem is she's the entire time saying, no, I'm not supposed to be in here. I work here. Gothica? Gothica. Thank you. That's what I'm thinking of. That's frightening. That's man. an oldie. That's that a is a really, deal. yeah. Robert Downey Jr. pre-Iron Man. my time. Yeah, that's really before your time. You didn't know who Sam Elliott was, man. Just stay out of this <laughs> no matter what. I do now that I've seen the photo. Okay? Shutter Island, that's another one with Leo DiCaprio that's where he one. also was the police officer and then a poor, uh, good finds twist. out. Yep, really good twist on that one. So uh, frightening in its, itself, but uh, yikes. I, that might be one of my worst nightmares. It's just something. What? No matter what it is, just someone not believing me. Whether it's that I didn't do a crime well, or I nobody really believes going you in anything, to, though, buddy. That's true. <laughs> well, something else that's frightening is the possibility of Yachty not coming back next season. Maybe oh. that's just frightening for us. Some people might look at it the other way. What? We're gonna dive in to be in here. I work here. Gothica. Gothica. Thank you. That's what I'm thinking of. That's frightening. That's man. an oldie. That's that a is good a really, deal. yeah. Robert Downey Jr. pre Iron Man. My time. Yeah, that's really before your. You didn't know who Sam Elliott was, man. Just stay out of this. <laughs> I no do matter now what. that I've seen the photo. Shutter okay? Island. That's another one with Leo DiCaprio, that's where he one. also was the police officer, and then a poor uh, good finds twist. Out, yep, really good twist on that one. So uh, frightening in its, itself, but uh, yikes. I that might be one of my worst nightmares. It's just something. What? No matter what it is, just someone not believing me, whether it's. That I didn't do a crime well, or I Nobody really believes going you in anything, to. though, buddy. That's true. <laughs> well, something else that's frightening is the possibility of Yachty not coming back next season. Maybe oh. that's just frightening for us. Some people might look at it the other way. What? We're going to dive into that. We want your mic drops. If you feel like some Cardinals fans are undervaluing what Yachty actually brings to this Cardinals team, are you upset if he doesn't come back for 2022? Get your mic drops, Rhino Shield mic drops. Text on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We'll dive into that next here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. But if Yadier Molina wants to come back to St. Louis and you're trying to win a World Series in 2022, you do it. Right. Regardless yeah. of the if the numbers have tapered off a bit, obviously, you know, no one's going to hit at that torrid pace he was on in April. Right. It's a long season. Things taper <laughs> right. off. Right. But again, you say the name alone. It's synonymous with St. Louis. If the Cardinals are pushing for a World Series in 2022 and your horse, your most respected guy in the clubhouse, him and Wayno, if Yachty wants to come back, you bring him back. That's the voice of Katie Wu, the Athletic Cardinals insider who was with us in studio yesterday. And I guess a controversial topic, T-Bone, that I didn't know was going to be controversial. I didn't either. 
Yadier Molina back in 2022. So he talked with Derek Gould. Of course, Yadi spoke with Derek Gould a couple of days ago and made it clear to Derek that his plans are to play another season, and he wants it to be for the Cardinals. Now's the opportunity that extension talks can begin post-trade deadline. And Yadi said, look, if there's negotiations that can happen now, I'd love to do it and make sure that we're done. Because he said, I don't want to go through what I went through last year of basically waiting all the way up until the season begins before he finds out if there's a contract to be had. Katie, who said yesterday that, look, if you have an opportunity to bring Yachty back, who's a Hall of Famer, despite what you believe, who, yes, has taken a step back this season in terms of offensive numbers and somewhat of his defensive play, you still bring him back if you had World Series aspirations in 2022. I'm with Katie on this one, but frankly, I was amazed at how many people, and honestly, how many cruel people, responded to our tweet yesterday towards Katie saying, there's no way I would do this. He doesn't help this team. You need to move on, pull the plug with Yachty or Molina. Yeah, I was stunned too, and I texted you yesterday, uh, probably about 4 o'clock, when I started looking at this, I was like, I can't believe that I'm seeing this kind of pushback because what was all the talk heading into last offseason? It was, well, you got to bring Yachty back. you got to bring Yachty back, and they did it, and now we're going to just flip the tone on it. I get it. His offensive numbers haven't been great, but I think we're starting. Cardinals fans are starting to undervalue what Yachty brings outside of just the offense because look at what he does with a pitching staff. He's great with a pitching staff. He's still throwing guys out at his career average. Has his defense stepped back a little bit? Maybe. Maybe the advanced metrics show that it hasn't. I I think he has a little bit personally. I think he's just getting tired. I I think you need to take a little bit of playing time I don't want to say you got to take away some playing time from Yachty because you can't. You're not going to do that. But I, I would like to see Kisner get a little bit more of a shot as things go along. But I think you have to bring back Yachty. I don't think you have a catcher on this roster or in this system that can take over and play 140 games next season. That's not named Yachty or Molina. And I don't know if you want to go explore the free agent market because I don't think the Cardinals want to spend some of their 60 million dollars on another catcher that may be more expensive than Yadier Molina. Yeah, look, I, um, I I know that Tony La Russa has said this in the past, and I'm sure some people would disagree with it, but Tony has said in the past when he was managing the Cardinals that you know Yadi could be hitting zero, and I would still play him for what he delivers on the defensive side. Now, I understand that the Yadi of 2006 is not the Yadi of 2021, but his defense... And last night, I think, was a perfect example of it because he had a couple of balls that he stopped that were wild pitches that he kept the runners in position. Now, it didn't work out essentially at the end of the day with all of the walks, but Yachty provides something that no other catcher is going to provide on the open market, and that's understanding this pitching staff, understanding kind of the environment around St. Louis and the necessity to make a push. But on top of it, Yachty might be hitting out of position, but he still is valuable to this team. Now, maybe you need more Kisner. Maybe you need to see more of him as a backup catcher and less of Yachty through a 162-game schedule. But I just can't fathom the idea of a team making a serious push next year if they believe that they can without Yachty a part of this roster. But again, this is us. We're in St. Louis. We're the media, and we're homers. I'm putting all of those in air quotes, by the way. Katie Wu, of course, talking about that Who's yesterday as well. That? Well, a lot of people actually, and it's very, very inappropriate too, by the way. But let's get your thoughts on the Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app, also the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero. Marty, let's hear from Chris. Hey, boys, Cubble, Chris. Hey, the question of not bringing Yachty back is just insane to me. If you set Arenado and, and Goldschmidt aside. Who do you? Who else do you want up with the bases loaded? Anybody? I want Yachty up. So that tells me all I need to know. Until that question is no, you bring him back every year. 
I, I'm with him. 100%. His numbers and runners in scoring position have been really good. What's his What's his numbers and runners in scoring position? I haven't seen. I did. I've, I, I believe it. he was hitting a little above 320, if I'm not mistaken, this and, season. And that's something that the Cardinals need because as a team, they're not hitting well with runners well, in that's scoring it. position. You don't have clutch hitters on your roster right now. And look, I, I understand Yachty is 40-plus years old, but with runners in scoring position, I feel more comfortable with him at the plate than a couple of other guys right now on this roster. Yeah, yeah uh, he's hitting 301, an OPS of 770, but he's got a 346 on base percentage with runners in scoring position. He scored 33 runs for this team this season in 81 plate appearances. Yeah, and he's not, he's losing that extra base. He's not an extra base hit guy anymore because as he's getting older, he's starting to realize, okay, I'm going to go more for just contact. We're seeing singles. That's kind of his thing now. He's only had, I believe it was three extra base hits. Uh, or four extra base hits since June for Yadier Molina. One homer and then I believe three doubles. So if you're the Cardinals and you have guys on, Yadier Molina has that perfect approach that you want. I can drive the ball the other way if I need to, or I can pull it if I have to, depending on what A, the pitcher gives me, and B, what the defense is. That's part of the reason why I, I would like to see Yadier back is because he is, I don't want to say he's your best all-around hitter because he's not. But he is definitely one, maybe one of your, if not the, clutches hitter on this St. Louis Cardinals team. From the 636, if you want to give Yachty all the credit for good pitching performances, doesn't he have to take some of the blame for the bad pitching performances as well? Absolutely. But look at what happened last night with Andrew Kisner. You can't tell me that if Yachty's in that situation, he might calm down that scenario a little bit differently? Maybe. I, I, I don't think that... I See, this is a tough one because I, I don't think you can say... Oh, when the pitchers struggle, then it's on Yachty. But also, you know, we say, well, he handles a pitching staff well because Yachty can't control where they're throwing the ball. I think Yachty just does a great job of being in sync with his pitchers, knowing what, they, what they're what they feeling. Like Wainwright, when Rain, Wainwright gets a start, he can tell, all right, his curveball, not, he's not feeling it. Let's kind of get away from it. And Wainwright will help him out with that too. But some of the younger guys will say, all right, I have to keep throwing my curveball, have to keep throwing my curveball. Wayno will say, no, no, you don't have a feel for it yet. Let's go with the fastball. Let's start working some of the fastballs low and away. Let's attack this guy high. His preparation is great for that kind of stuff. So when the pitching struggles, is there some criticism for Yachty? Maybe. I don't think so as much. I think it's just a matter of the pitcher had trouble with their command that night, and that's not really on Yachty or Molina. Let's hear from Jason on our Rhino Shield mic drops. For my love of the Cardinals, it would be sad to see Yachty or Molina go. But at the same time, if we gave Andrew Kisner the opportunity, see where he was, then eventually traded him and then bridged to Ivan Herrera, that could work out very well for the Cardinals. And we wouldn't have to pay Yachty next year as well. And we could use that money somewhere else on like a shortstop. The only downside to not bringing Yachty back in my mind is that that means Adam Wainwright's probably going to retire. Yeah, and I do think those two things are tied together. But here's the thing. Look, Yachty's making $9 million this year. He's probably making make less. less than that. You know, it's going to be close, maybe like somewhere between 7 or $8 million, maybe some bonuses tied in. He's not going to to halt you from shopping for a bad upgrade. If you're going to do it, it's not because you're paying Yachty or Molina 8 or $9 million. And I think if you want Wayno back, which if you're going to make a push, I think Wayno helps you in that sense. Yachty's going to be a piece of that if you're able to bring him back on top of Wayno. I want to respond to this texture real quick from the 618. It says, uh, think with the brain, not the heart. Huh. I'm thinking with my brain when I'm saying I'm bringing back Yachty or Molina because, again, you don't have someone that's ready to catch 140 games. 
Maybe you think Andrew Kisner is, but you haven't seen it. He's more of a question mark on a team that already has a ton of question marks if you bring it. And that's not a shot against Andrew Kisner, because I think he is a really good player when he gets playing time. I just don't know how he would fare in a 140-game season when I already know what Yadier Molina looks like when he starts 130 to 140 games. That's thinking with my brain. I, I love the aspect, too, with my heart about, you know, I'd love to see Yadi play a full however many years he's been in the league, play that whole time with St. Louis and not go out go out on his own terms. I would love to see that, but I'm also thinking with my brain, too, knowing I don't know if we have that guy that can play that spot like Yadier Molina can for next season. I don't take text messages too personal, T-Bone. Stop, we got to get nervous. to Randy real quick, but one more before we get out of here on Yadi. Here's Ryan. The people who are complaining about bringing Yadi back next season are insane. He's Damn, one of the Ryan. top five bats on our team right now, and we have so many other positions that need to be upgraded. You can't upgrade the catcher position for $9 million or less. Secondly, Andrew Kisner, as great as that home run was last night, is hitting under 200. He is not a better hitter or catcher right now than Yachty, so you're not upgrading there either. I think he could be offensively a little bit better, at least right now, but he's not getting the proper opportunities off of the bench, and that's tough when you're a young player. But look, at the end of the day, it does come back to Yachty, and it's hard for me to... It's hard for me to believe anybody who says the team is not better or the team is better without Yadier Molina on it for 2022. Appreciate the Rhino Shield mic drops. We are going to chat with Rex Hudler coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, we're going to catch up with Randy Carricker out in Canton here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Carriker and Smallman out in Canton catching up with so many members of that greatest show on turf, some Hall of Famers, and of course the soon-to-be Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce, who is headed into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this class of 2020. And now we're going to head out to Canton and welcome in our buddy and teammate Randy Carriker. RK, how's Canton, my man? Alex, it's great. Actually, Michelle and I are standing in line here heading into the bust gallery at the Hall of Fame, so we'll get the opportunity to see the busts of Marshall Falk and uh, Orlando Pace, Kerr Warner, Aeneas Williams, and the spot where, after tomorrow, they'll place the bust of Isaac Bruce. It really is a, a magical place, it, and, and thank you very much for the compliments on the show this morning. We had a great time, and it was those greatest show on turf guys that made it happen. Yeah, well, it was such a fun show to listen to, and I saw the text line when I walked in for our show today, and so many people were saying how much they enjoyed just getting to go back and relive those memories. Randy, how much of that, this, I guess, today for you, took you back to those memories of the greatest show on turf? Oh, everything did. I had so much fun uh, covering that team and being around that group of guys, and they're such a good group of people. Dick Vermeil took it upon himself to make sure that they really had quality people inside that room, and we see that when they come back, when you get a chance to visit with a Ricky Prohl and you get a chance to talk to Isaac and Kurt Warner. Uh, it's remarkable the quality of human beings that were in that room and that will be here in Canton over the course of the weekend. DeMarco Farr is headed in for the course of the weekend. And it really, it's fun. And I think for everybody that had a chance to watch that team and go to the Dome and see how explosive they were. But then they did so many great things in the community and to be able to uh, be around them again because they really do care about St. Louis. That makes it really special, too. Yeah, Rand, that's what I was going to ask you, too. What does it mean for the city of St. Louis to see another uh, Ram go into the Hall of Fame? 
it's huge. And we, we've been lucky for the bad football that we had. We did have four members of the football Cardinals go in. And at the end of the day, we'll have half a dozen guys. The four that are in, Torrey Holtz, will probably go in as well. And then Aeneas Williams from the defense. So there will be six members of the Rams. And hopefully at some point, Dick Vermeil will go in as well. And it, it, it is cool that there's for eternity, Tanner, there's going to be uh, those busts here for guys that played in St. Louis and it's not Los Angeles Rams. That Super Bowl trophy was won in St. Louis. And I think that is special for St. Louis football fans and especially the people that had a chance to watch that group of guys play. Again, we're talking with Randy Carricker, who is out in Canton. He and Michelle Smallman broadcasted uh, from Canton earlier today for Isaac Bruce induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. RK, you mentioned Tory Holt, Tory Holt there. How soon do you think we'll, we'll hear his name headed into Canton? You know, in talking to people this morning here uh, that are around the Hall of Fame and no Hall of Fame voters and talk to a lot of people, he could get in as early as next year. One of the things that we have to keep in mind about Torrey is that he led the league in catches and in yards during the 2000s. From the year 2000 to 2009, nobody in the league, and that was the prime of Randy Moss and Terrell Owens and Marvin Harrison. Nobody had more yards and more catches than Torrey Holt in that time. So he's going to get in, and it is a matter of time. There's obviously that concern about uh, next year Reggie Wayne being a first-time possibility for the Hall of Fame. But I think that uh, there's a very good chance, if not next year, that Torrey will be in by 2023. Randy, talking about this team, I didn't get a chance to watch it. I went back and have watched the games of them in the playoffs, and I've heard the story my mom tells all the time where my dad nearly dropped me when they made the tackle at the goal line when I was a baby. I'd argue that he did drop you, but that's fine. Yeah, well, you think they're protecting me? Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad to, I'm glad to know they are. Uh, Randy, I'm curious, what's one of some of your favorite memories of watching the greatest show on turf? Well, uh, they revolve mostly around Isaac Bruce. Uh, the, the game against San Francisco here, and it was game five of the 1999 season when he got three touchdowns in the first quarter and four touchdowns for the game. And the Rams won 42-20. They had lost 17 in a row to the 49ers, and they were able to uh, down the ball at the one-yard line. They just took a knee at the one-yard line of the, of the Niners to end the game. That was cool. And then my favorite play ever was that first touchdown that scored on the very first offensive play ever in a playoff home playoff game in St. Louis, Isaac's. 77-yard touchdown pass from Kurt on the, the double post. It was it was Isaac and Torrey. And then, obviously, in the Super Bowl, when Isaac scores a 73-yarder uh, with 156 to go right before the two-minute warning. And then Mike Jones tackle him. Mike is still in St. Louis. He's the head football coach at St. Louis University High. Those, If I had to pick out four of those... And I could pick out a lot more, by the way. <laughs> but uh, those four right off the top of my head. Hey, Randy, final one for you, and then we'll let you go because I know you and Michelle are about to head in there. I just wanted to get your thoughts because you mentioned how close that team was, and you've been around a lot of teams, a lot of locker rooms throughout your career covering pro sports. Have you ever seen a tighter locker room than what the St. Louis Rams had during that year? No, I haven't. And that was fostered by Dick Vermeil. And I remember asking him when he got hired in 1997 if he could – Develop the same sort of family atmosphere with a football team in 1997 as he did in 1976 with the Eagles. And he said, yeah, I, I plan to do that. I, I was thinking that as jaded as athletes are, there's no way that he could do that. But that team was built to be a really tight-knit unit. And he, here we are 22 years after that Super Bowl championship and 20 years past 
their last Super Bowl appearance. And those guys are still on text strings together and they're communicating with each other. And when they get together this weekend, it'll be like they've never been apart. And that's one of the cool things about it. Every championship team has a special bond. But I think that group had a special bond even before they won the championship. And I think that was built by Vermeil. And to, to answer your question, no, being around that locker room, I've never seen a group that close. Well, we can't wait to see Isaac go in this weekend. Randy, it was such a fun show today. Again, congrats to you and Smalls for putting that show together. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, and we look forward to seeing you guys back here in St. Louis on Monday. All right, look forward to seeing you guys. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, and you have a great weekend, too. There you go. Randy Carricker and Michelle Smallman, both broadcasting from Canton. If you missed their show earlier today, uh, you can hear it again later on tonight at 6 o'clock here on 101 ESPN, courtesy of Schnooks and Twin Peaks. They had Isaac Bruce, Dick Vermeil, Kurt Warner, so many members of that uh, the greatest, greatest, show, show, on the greatest show on turf. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Boom. Cardinals and Royals start a three-game series this evening. Adam Wainwright on the mound against Mike Miner for the Kansas City Royals. And anytime the Royals are playing the Cardinals, I always have to get one of my favorite baseball analysts on the air. I love talking with this former Cardinal and, of course, the former uh, or the current Kansas City Royal broadcaster. He is Rex Hudler. Rex, it is a pleasure to talk with you as always, my man. How are you? Alex, you know better than to ask me that question. <laughs> it's beautiful. We're at the end of summer. Baseball is heating up. A lot of great things are happening, and I get to go to the ballpark tonight and talk about baseball. What's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that at all, and that's why I love talking with you because you have the most uh, positive energy, I think, of anybody when it comes to talking baseball, and I love every second of it. And i got to read you this text, Rex, because usually when we get you on, we always talk about your playing time here in St. Louis, and we're going to get into just kind of this playoff push for the Cardinals and just get your opinion on going through these dog days of the summer. But we got a text from the 618 from Pete who says, to this day, my dad still talks about Rex. He was his favorite player at the time. I remember him all always telling me to watch his hustle on the field. Here's the thing, and I told Tanner, my co-host, this before you joined us. You played three seasons in St. Louis, and from the way people talk about Rex Hudler and for how you talk about St. Louis, you would have thought that you played your entire career here. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the beauty of getting an opportunity to wear the birds on the chest, uh, Alex. Uh, j- just just uh, the, the, the way that the fans really appreciate their former players, their history, uh, I had no control over that, but I, I look back and I do really feel proud that Whitey Herzog, a Hall of Fame manager, traded for me in early April of 1990, and it completely changed my career. Um, what a, I got to go to the, the National League and play. Of course, I played a little bit with the Expos in the National League, but, but, but to be, experience uh, the love that the, that the fans have for the players there was amazing. And, you know, and I played hard my whole life. I, I was trained – in high school, in my amateur days, by wonderful coaches that that instilled the importance of hustle and always giving your best and really to control the two things that you can control, and that's your attitude and your output. And to come to St. Louis and play the same way I've been playing, but the people thought I fell off the um, of Mars somewhere or the moon or somewhere, and they were like, wow, who is this guy? I played that way all the time, and it was a pleasure to be able to perform in front of those people. And I didn't hit the gaps very often. I was not a uh, you know an everyday type player, 
But whenever I hit a gap in Bush Stadium, I'd get 20 steps from first from second base, and I could hear the roar of the crowd saying, "Is he going for three? And I would say, "Yeah, I don't care if I cross the 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 stop. The, the third base coach is holding me. I'm going because I got a rush off of the crowd, and I could hear him. And I love doing a head first dive into third base and and get up and look at the fans. Really appreciate that. That 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 really I fed off of that. Again, we're talking with Rex Hudler, former Cardinal and, of course, current Kansas City Royals broadcaster here on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Uh, Rex, take me into the mind of a player at this time. When you're at this point of the season, beginning of August, your post-trade deadline, your post-All-Star break, does this start to feel like playoff baseball for players? Yeah, especially if you're in the hunt. You know, if you're anywhere in the hunt. And if you're not, it doesn't change anything anyway. You have the same mentality from the beginning of the spring training till the end of the season. You're going to go out and compete and give the fans their money's worth. You're going to play the game, and it doesn't change. Now, it's always nice to hear your name uh, mentioned at the deadline. And, you know, even as a, as a mediocre player as I was, I mean, there was a few, few uh, uh, times that my name was mentioned. That gave me a little boost. I was like, wow, it's so nice to be wanted. But you have to understand that even established players, I mean, this is a, a short career. And I'll never forget when I broke in with the New York Yankees in 1984, Dave Winfield pulled me aside one day and said, hey, kid, what's guaranteed a ball player? And I said, uh, I don't know, Wendy, what is He goes, you're going to be an ex-ball player. And I've seen you play. You don't, you're going to be done before you think you're done. And so, so that's how short a career can be. And he said, while you're coming to the ballpark now, take the blinders off, look around, introduce yourself to fans if they don't know you shake their hands and say hey you know i'm rex hudler and i and i'm a cardinal and or wherever and just never know that that person could own a corporation somewhere and give you a job and he he told me that and that was so good to, to mentor a young player like me and gosh he goes when you when you go back to where you're going to go in the minors you ask that media relations guy if if they need a luncheon speaker you tell them that you're available because you want to share your story with people. You want to entertain because you never know where that could lead. And by golly, Dave Winfield has helped me have 20 years of, of a career in broadcasting after my playing days because he took the time and he mentored me. So players, when I, when I, when I would go to the ballpark at this time of year, I always looked on the other side. I always said, man, this is going to be over here and soon. So what can I give today? What, what is the energy that I have and how am I going to, you know, entertain a fan? When you have that attitude, you come to the ballpark, you're looking for great things. And that's how a big leaguer gets through it. Rex, you mentioned the attitude there. And, and you kind of said putting the blinders on. And the Cardinals right now, they're in a little bit of another rut. They're trying to fight back into the playoff push. As a player, during the playoff push, if your team kind of goes through a rut and maybe you're kind of scoreboard watching as well, how do you keep that positive attitude? Do you kind of start to feel the weight of the world coming on you guys as the pressure on athletes? We want to get to the playoffs. The fans want the team there. But you guys start to struggle and you start to see the team that's ahead of you kind of start to get further and further away from you. No, no, no. Alex and Tana, let me just tell you, that baseball is just like everyday life. And, you know, when, when that dad who's got, a, who's got four kids at home and he's got a job making 50000 a year and he gets fired and he's wondering how he's going to feed his kids, to me, that's pressure. That's like, wow, what am I going to do? For a ball player, 
come on, minimum wage is half a million dollars. There's a lot of great things out there that are going good. You have to find ways to motivate yourself. And, you know, know that whatever happened yesterday and last night, I can't control that. That's over. I can learn from that. But, man, I can't wait to go to the ballpark today. Today's a new day. That 0 for 20 that I have is going to be broken. So I'm going to walk into the clubhouse hitting as though I was hitting 320, and our team's in first place, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a positive body language. That's where it starts day-to-day. It's a day-to-day business. It's like anything else. And you can't control any of those things. You can't control. Don't even watch the scoreboard. Who cares? I'm going to control my at-bat, my out. How can I help my team today? And if it doesn't work out, the game is so difficult. Are you kidding? It's a game of failure. You have to learn how to let it go and come back the next day and have fun and compete because your time is short. Don't be, don't be in control. You know, the mind chatter, the noise. Get off the social media. Get off of what all, all that stuff is. It's nothing but noise. You keep your focus on your job and your teammates. And, you know, I failed for 21 years as a baseball player and, and, and got 10 years in the big leagues out of failure. So I'm a successful failure, and here's how. I learned how to take the pressure off myself by encouraging others. My teammates, when I knew they were down and they were struggling, I would go in there and say, hey, get your head up. It's going to be all right. Today's the day. Who's going who's gonna to drive the bus? Who's, who's going to make the play? I mean, those are the things that you concentrate on, and that way it takes your sorry feelings off of yourself and how bad I am. No one's into a pity party. No one receives sympathy cards from the opponents or the other managers, or anything like that. When you get beat in this game, you take it and like it. And you move on and you take it to the next guy. And you beat your opponent. When you keep things simple, you go out and attack, and you play the game, and you come to play, then that changes your momentum, and that changes the whole mentality of your ball club. And you're hopeful that you have some veterans on that team that can instill that. And if you don't, you're going to have a hard time getting to the playoffs and overcoming failure. You've got to realize it's attitude. I love it. We got a couple more minutes with Rex Hudler, current Kansas City Royals broadcaster, former Cardinal, spent three seasons here in St. Louis. Rex, I wanted to get into your mindset in terms of a pinch hitter because we've talked a lot this season about the Cardinals' uh, off the bench approach, and it has struggled this season. In my opinion, this is one of the toughest things to do in all of pro sports, and that's just come into a game and hit once and then be judged off of that. What's the mindset that goes into being a pinch hitter or coming off of the bench in the middle of a game? Oh, Alex, you are so correct. That's the hardest job in baseball to try to hit. I mean, if you get four at-bats a night, it's still hard, but your timing's better. But when you get one at-bat a night for five days in a row, your five at-bats is one game for another guy. So it's very difficult, and typically you're coming in after the fifth or sixth inning where it's where the, you're going to face one of, their, one of their guys in the bullpen, one of their you know, the back-end guys, so they're sharp and they're tough. And so what you do is you, you have a good mindset going in. You make sure you're nice and loose. And you go up there and you, you swing the bat. I've, I learned from uh, – I had some great hitting coaches in my day. Great hitting coaches. I had uh, Rod Carew, seven-time batting champion for three years with the Angels. Don Baylor with the, with the Cardinals. I had Hal McRae, who taught me a lot. I had him with two teams, the Expos and the Philadelphia Phillies. And Hal McCray told me, if you, if you don't swing at the first pitch, I don't care if you miss it by a foot, you're not in the game. You've got to gauge your swing on his pitch. And the minute you swing, the early, earliest you swing, the better off you are. If you take pitches two, three, you still are not in the game. You've got to swing the bat. 
you got to get ready and get in that bat and then shorten up your swing and put the ball in play. And once in a while, you're lucky enough you can run into one, and that will increase your value big time if you go deep. I only had four or five uh, pinch hit homers in my career, but, man, just the fact that that other manager over there knows he's got somebody in that bench that can hit for power or, or hit a homer off the bench or something or can do something for his ball club, that adds a little extra uh, excitement and also a little extra strategy that that, that opposing manager has to, to go against. But, I, but bench hitting is difficult. I learned uh, that you can't take that home with you and beat yourself up over one at bat. You have to continue to encourage others and encourage your other teammates, and that takes your thoughts off yourself. And go up and, by golly, do it again and be ready. Be ready for the first pitch. Most of the time they're fastballs, but uh, it's uh, really hard to do. Speaking of home life, Rex, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you before we wrapped things up. You got to see your son uh, perform in a, the Ben Johnson All-Star Game for collegiate athletes, and he was named MVP. And I know that has to mean a lot to you, of course, your son playing the sport that you've grown up and loved for so long. Oh, man, thanks for bringing that up. But you know what? We, we go to the ballpark uh, in this particular time. I know it's going to change next year. I hope we go back on the road with the teams. But, but so we, we, I go to Coppin Stadium when the Royals are on the road, and, and we broadcast the game in front of an empty ballpark. And uh, William, he had that, uh, that all-star game at Ben Johnson, and I've been looking forward to it for four or five days. And I would tell my buddies, hey, guys, Will's going to play out in front of us. So it was a little bit hard to keep my focus on our game. <laughs> And he came up, he struck out the first time, and the second time I told him, it's a big ballpark, Will. Don't swing for the fences, man. You'll never get there. I want to see you hit a gapper and run. And sure enough, first pitch off a lefty, he shot a ball down the right field line, which is triple haven in, in, in Toppin Stadium. And he took off, and I jumped out of the booth, and I, and I watched him run, and he slid into third base, knocked in a run, and scored a run. And, and then, you know, they took him out because they had to get all the other players in there. But then after the game, I thought I heard over the loudspeaker his name. And sure enough, they, they, they gave him the MVP, and, man, I wept like a small child. Enjoy <laughs> <laughs> seeing my son. Now I can't do it anymore. I miss running the bases the most. And I got to see him run a triple at Coppin Stadium. And who knows how long he'll play, you know. But thank you for bringing that up. It's a beautiful thing to see your your young son uh, compete in the grand game. And I'm just looking forward to the future for him. Yeah, well, I saw our good buddy Joel Goldberg uh, tweet about how how big of a moment that was of you broadcasting and him doing it in front of you. So I just thought that was such a cool moment. And on top of the Cards and Royals playing, I, I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on that. Rex, it is always a pleasure to get to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Uh, Enjoy the ballpark. Enjoy the uh, Cardinals and Royals matchup. And we look forward to chatting with you again real soon. Oh, believe it. And we can't wait for the Redbirds next weekend. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. There you go. Thank you so much. Rex Hunt. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN.
Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We're going to do our one got to go a segment late. So as always, you send us over three options, four options. We'll tell you which one has to go. Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. By the way, you can join me later on today. Four o'clock, I am headed to the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series out in Peevely, Missouri. Boogity, 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 boys. Let's go racing. And there's Tanner once again. High-speed sprint cars and the greatest show on dirt. How about that? We just did greatest show on turf. Now we're doing the greatest show on dirt, T-Bone. Wow. Watch out now. The Outlaws, they take on the Federated Auto Parts Raceway in the most challenging race on tour. Who you got the in that one? Iron Man 55. Huh? Who you got winning that? I'm not going to... Do you think I'm going to give that away here? Come on, man. Oh. Get in on the action this Friday. I'll be out there. Four to six. This Come Friday? check it out. This Friday. Today. Four to six. Shut it, Tanner. One's got to go. Marty Jenkins, Tanner Hendrickson, Alex Ferrario. Let's start it off, boys. One has to go. French fries, chips, or salsa? French fries, chips, or salsa? That's a good one. Mm. I think I'm going to say I'm going to say salsa. Not that big a fan of salsa. I, chips, I can have like Doritos or sour cream and onion or whatever it's called. And you got to have French fries. You can't get rid of the French fries. So I'm getting rid of salsa. Marty? Yeah, there's just too many chips flavors. I'm going to get rid of salsa as well. Here's the thing. Oh, don't do it. Unless the French fries are actually cooked, like if I'm getting well, soggy getting like French a, fries, I'm getting rid I of was them. Assuming There's I'm nothing getting, worse than that. There's nothing worse than undercooked French fries. I was assuming fries. I was getting like the perfect French Well, that's fry. what I'm under the assumption as well. So salsa is the one that has to go here. I'm just saying, if French fries are soggy, they're probably going to go. Chips are the ultimate number one. There's so many different options with this, which is... Always the go-to. What Three. about on the flip side of that? Will you eat fries if they're really burnt? Because I will. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, oh, I, no. If they're no crispy, shot. if they're crispy, I am in on those. One's got to go. Three, one, four. Fork, spoon, or knife? Oh, this is where it's at. This is where, this is where men turn into boys or boys turn into men. Fork, spoon, or knife? You got your spoon, right? You don't need a spoon. You can. You, can you don't need a spoon? How you eating cereal? Uh, How you eating soup? I can pour it into my mouth, or I can go with a fork. Make sure we cut that one off for next week. Okay, so Tanner's getting rid of the spoon. <laughs> I'm getting rid of a knife, because even if you have a steak or something, you're going to get a fork, and you're going to be able to get through that somehow. Yeah, look, you use you get rid of the knife here, Tanner. Other than steaks or chicken, what are you using a knife for? Uh, be a man and pick it up cut, and eat it. Cut raw meat? No, you... What? What? You're cutting raw meat? Yeah, is this the Revenant? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Living in the wild right now? You got a fork, man. I did make get rid of my toilet worth. a couple weeks ago. That's very true. Yikes. That one was really, really bad. All right. One's got to go. Soda edition. Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, or Mountain Dew? Marty, let's start with you. Mountain Dew. Just too much caffeine there. I, I just can't handle it. And plus, I love the other three you mentioned. That's a tough one. Because I'm kind of with you. I don't drink Mountain Dew often, but there are times where, you know, maybe it's 11 a.m. and you've already heard an hour of BK polishing a turd on the Cardinals. You just need a Mountain Dew to kind of kickstart your day. So I think that one's going to stay. Dr. Pepper, I love. I think I'm going to get rid of Pepsi. I'm not a fan of the aftertaste on Pepsi. Yeah, Pepsi's disgusting. I'm getting rid of Pepsi. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's disgusting. I go Coke every day of the week oh, if Dr. I'm drinking Pepper's soda. Dr. Pepper's the go-to. It's got no. 23 different no, flavors. No, unlike Marty, Mountain Dew is the go-to there. Mountain Dew is always the go-to. You need a big kick in the rear end. That's what Mountain does for you. What? You do the do. Do the do. Do the do. 573, one's got to go. Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Cardinals starting pitching. Cardinals starting eight. Cardinals bullpen. Cardinals bench. Starting pitching. 
starting lineup, bullpen, bench. I'll One's go with the go. starting rotation. You're getting rid of the rotation. Yeah. Because wow. he knows the bullpen's so good that they can lock things down for nine innings each game. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I think the rotation's actually been good of late, so I'll keep them. The bullpen, at least I got three guys I trust. The lineup's got potential. I mean, you basically don't have a bench right now, so I'll say one's got to go. It's got to be the Cardinals bench. I actually got to go with Tanner on this one. You already don't have a bench, so I don't think it's really going to affect you that much. So the Cardinals bench pretty much can already go because I don't think it's been really helpful this season. Yeah, it's not been great. Remember the years of, like, the bench for the Cardinals every time somebody stepped out of the the dugout, it felt like someone was going to hit a home run? Like, it was... Were you referring to the Greg Garcia times? That or Jed Jerko or Matt Adams oh, coming out of the box, right? Like big those city, big city just coming through nonstop. So yeah, Brandon the, Moss when he was with the that's team, right? Cardinals bench has got to go. If you missed the here. interview with him, check it out on the podcast page. Presented by I Promise. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. All right, two more boys from the three one four. One's got to go. Being sticky, smelly, or uncomfortably wet. Sticky, smelly, Ooh. uncomfortably wet. Tanner? Oh, sorry. No, you're fine, Marty. We're going to let Tanner think about this one for a minute. Smelly, uncomfortably wet. wet. Uh, I think I'm going to go with sticky. I smelly that one sucks too, but I I don't want to be sticky. Just something about that. I can't handle that. So I I think I would go with sticky. Smelling one, like I said, that sucks too. But if I had to take one, it has to be the. I, I can't be sticky. I hate I hate pancakes because. Normal pancakes because you need syrup on them, and that's sticky as hell. There's nothing worse than B.O., man. It just makes me want to throw up. So, This might be the toughest one for me because I hate all three of these. They're not great options. Like, I, and I, the I, wet one I can handle. No, see, I try to avoid when I get stuck out in the rain because there's nothing worse than having to go through the rest of the day as like your socks being uncomfortably soggy or your shirt being soaked. But I can't be in a room with somebody who's got bad B.O. Agreed. And sticky. Like, I... If, I'll sh- if I shower in the morning and you have yourself a nice pancake or a waffle and you get syrup on you, I got to go re-shower because oh, you can't be sticky for the rest of the day. Or so, like you just go outside and you like walk around and do something and you just kind of, you don't sweat, but you kind of get that kind of that sticky feeling. You have to shower. Yeah. So I think what I have to get rid of here is I got to get rid of the stickiness because I can find a way to handle the other two. I just don't know if I can find a way to handle um being, being, being sticky like I, there's just nothing nothing worse than this one all right final one for us here on one's gotta go of course fast lane coming up next bt and anthony stalter are out at bush stadium uh, but before we get out of here one has to go fellas a luxury edition drinking movies or video games well we know Tanner's we know keeping drinking. drinking. Yeah, we, know, we know Tanner's keeping drinking. Can we make one got to go a little more challenging text line? Come on. All right. What were the other two? Sorry, I got distracted. Her Watching drinking. movies or video games? Watching movies or playing video games? Uh, I think I will get rid of watching movies then. Really? I, I, I enjoy really? playing video games and watching a movie. I could go without doing it. I don't even remember the last time I watched an actual full movie now that I'm thinking about it. Like, I want to see Black Widow. Haven't seen it yet. <sighs> you were such an old person. I, I, you know, I turn on TV, sense. right? Like, I, you made it sound like I never watched TV. Yeah, I think I listened to the Cardinal games insanity. next to, to the fire with a. That's insanity, Marty. I don't do go? alcohol. Whoa! Whoa! You don't drink though, right? Fifteen years. Yeah. So I shouldn't have put that one in there. Peace. Yeah.
Marty's the man with that one. Tanner, maybe you. But should... video games is a close second. I haven't played a video game since like late '90s. <laughs> That's where I was gonna get after this one, T-Bone. Wait till you have a kid, which I know probably will never happen because the Tinder success isn't okay, working very well. Come on. But once you have a kid, you never touch your video game ever again. Plain and simple. You even know where yours is. No, still? it's probably got dust building on it. So. Wow. Yeah. That's last game I played sad. was Contra. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say the last game I played was Pong. <laughs> that's where I thought it's been a while, Marty. Too. All right, that's going to do it for us today here and this week on BK and Ferrario. Again, I am headed out to the World of Outlaws down in Peavely, Missouri. So come on out there from 4 to 6 go o'clock. Racing. There you go. From 2 to 6, you got the Fast Lane BT and Anthony Stalter coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed plus special financing, only for a limited time. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details.